Welcome. You found the people Chattanooga podcast. I'm your host, Luke Swab. Today on the show, I have Paul Mayer. Paul is one of the best submersible pilots in the world. He has over 2,000 dives under his belt, which in layman's terms means that less than 10 people who have ever lived on this planet have more dives than him. He has worked piling subs for the philanthropist and co-founder of Microsoft, Paul Allen. Uh, He was part of the team who found the World War II cruiser USS Indianapolis in 2017, which people have been trying to find for decades. He also dives at the Chattanooga Aquarium, volunteering his time to clean the fish tanks and feed the fish. And when he's not being filmed for documentaries, he likes to fiddle in his shop and hang out with the two pet goats, Bert and Ernie. This is a long one, folks. Paul is very humble, and this three-hour conversation is just the tip of the iceberg. I hope you enjoy my following conversation with the one and only Paul Mayer. All right, and we are recording. I'm here with Paul Mayer. Did I say it right? Yep. Good. This is our second try. We actually did a podcast earlier, and I made a poo-poo and uh, didn't save it. So this is good. Yeah. We get to try we again. We had a good dry run. And, uh, <laughs> we had a good dry run. Yeah. This one's for all the money. This one's for all the money. Okay, so, Paul, you have a really interesting story. You are a professional um, submarine pilot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess that's what you would say. What do you, what is your title on your resume? Do you have a resume? I haven't updated my resume in 10, 12 years now or even longer. But uh uh yeah, submersible man submersible pilot is, you know, uh kind of I've never really had to look for a job. So <laughs> I've never really <laughs> Had to use a resume, so you're the most mysterious. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a hard thing to kind of cover. You know, it's, it's I work in a very very small industry where everyone knows everyone else. So yeah, uh, they yeah. say the riches are in the niches. Is this true in your industry? Uh, well, you know, I do okay. You do okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've been on TV. Yeah. Um, you've worked for some big names. Let's. Let's start at the very beginning. Let's start at, um, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. Okay. What, what was that like? That was great. It's a, Santa Barbara's a fantastic place to grow up. You know, I, I was able to walk to the beach, so I grew up surfing, you know, scuba diving, free diving. Um, yeah, great place to grow up. Couldn't afford to live there now, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, but... Yeah, I, I, it was a great place to grow up and kind of, so it, it was a natural progression for me to do something involved with the ocean, you know, because I was so involved with it as a kid and and doing something, you know, being stuck in an office, uh, you know, just wasn't going to be in the cards for me. Plus, I, you know, I didn't have that that track of going from high school to university to a, a desk job. I, I kind of, I didn't have a, a stellar high school career. Did you say. make? Did you graduate from high school? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, Are you proud of that fact? Well, you know, 
my mom likes to bring it up occasionally <laughs> whenever I'm visiting with her. Uh, she wants you to go back to school, get your GED. You know, I, in a roundabout way, I, I did end up with my high school diploma. Okay. Uh, uh, I I was asked to leave high school a little early. <laughs> and so uh, my dad gave me an ultimatum, you know, get a job or go back to school. And I said, I'm going to go backpacking. So I went backpacking around the UK. That's neither of the options. Yeah. You know, <laughs> visiting relatives. And uh, my brother came over and we traveled together for, you know, a couple months. And, uh, and then I ended up... Uh, going back home and my dad said, all right, go back to school or get a job. And I said, well, I'm not going back to school. So I got a job. Uh, and, uh, I worked for a few years as a printer working in a printing shop. And, and I thought, you know what, I, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I, uh, I went and enrolled in the city college and, uh, my brother at the time wanted me to, or he wanted, uh, his diploma because he he left uh he never went to, he didn't go to graduation uh but he did graduate and he asked me to go by the school and pick up his his diploma so i went there and i i went to the office and i asked him for my brother's diploma and they they pulled his out and they had mine there too and uh they said oh yours is here too and so they gave me both of them and and i was out the door you know i, I didn't hang around so I do have a high school diploma, but did you, I earn it? No, you didn't earn it. No kidding. Uh, but and, and that kind of uh, so did did you said you enrolled at a university maybe to try to at the city college? City yeah, college. I, I I realized that you know I I didn't want to be a printer my whole life. I wanted to do something else. I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do, and so I enrolled in the local city college, uh, Santa Barbara City College. And I was taking a few courses. One of the courses I took was marine biology because, you know, I, I was always interested in the ocean. Yeah. Thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. Uh, and then... what well, that requires quite a lot of school. It does require a lot of school. And I also met a marine biologist and they said, uh, don't become a marine biologist because, you know, unless you want to sit there and beg for money, you know, to do the research you want to do. Yeah, get the grants. And I and... said, well, that doesn't sound like much fun, so... I uh, I skipped that idea, but I was taking a marine biology course, and I met this kid uh, who was sitting next to me in the class, and uh, Santa Barbara City College offers a marine technology program, which is basically preparing uh, you to become a commercial diver, to work in the oil field. Uh, so the oil rigs out there in the Gulf of Mexico and off of California, they require a lot of maintenance underwater. And this program was training people to be divers to go out there and, and do that type of work. And did that pay really good? Was this the era of um, what, what year-ish? Was so that this? was uh, the late 80s. And at that time, uh, so I enrolled in 1988. I graduated in 1990. And there were multiple companies coming down there offering to hire the entire class hmm. of about, I think, I think we started out with 50 people and in the end. I think after the two year program, uh, I think we probably had 30 something people that graduated and yeah. So the Gulf was hopping and were fuel prices really high. Was there a gas, 
uh, crisis around. I don't remember my it, it, fuel it, price history. Yeah, it w- at that time, the oil field was was booming, so yeah. prices must have been pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, they, uh, uh, this kid that was in that program took me down to that their building, and I met the instructors, and I, you know, and I saw what they were doing, and I had, you know. Being already, I was already a scuba diver at that point, so I was familiar with what it was, and I thought, yeah, this, this is going to be for me. So I enrolled in that program, and uh, started at the next semester. Two years later, I graduated in 1990, and funny enough, I worked my way through the dive program uh, in a print shop, and uh, that's what that's your financing. That's how you yeah yeah paid my way through school doing that. And uh, the accountant there, her brother ran a company in the Cayman Islands that did tourist submarines. It's called Atlantis Submarines. And they've, you know, they've got them in Hawaii, St. Thomas, Barbados, all over the place. And uh, she had always harassed me for a resume, which is probably about the last time I had a resume. to send to her brother because they they liked people with the back that mechanical background, um, you know, that was their that was their model at the time was hiring people with that you know diving background uh, to operate these manned subs with for tourists, and uh, I just one day I actually happened to have one and I gave it to her. And then the next week he called me, offered me a job. So I went right from this dive school right to the Cayman Islands uh, to work on this tourist submarine, taking tourists 28 at a time at that time. Did you uh, did you finish that degree? Or yeah. That, okay. yeah. You fin- okay. It was just a two-year, uh, two-year. marine, yeah. uh, two-year certificate, basically. So you have um, an illegitimate high school diploma, but a legitimate certificate certificate <laughs> okay yeah uh and uh so i i went down to the cayman islands i was 21 years old in the islands and uh started at this company atlanta submarines uh, as a co-pilot you know and uh taking 28 people down 150 feet uh in, a, in this pressurized sub uh, and most of our business was with the cruise ships, you know, and, oh, okay. and you know, we had, Cayman Islands has quite a few cruise ships going through it. There was also on island passengers, uh, but we, we would do 12 dives a day. There was two shifts. You did night dives, day dives. And, uh, a year after the day I got there, I became a pilot, you know, up to that point I was a co-pilot and rotated through maintenance. And then I was piloting that. Uh, submarine and then how how big is that sub can you describe holds 28 people and two pilots one, so that one held 28 people and i don't remember the particulars of that one because we shortly after that we got a larger one that held 48 passengers uh and that one was 65 feet long 79 tons and uh i would Kind of like a tube, like an airplane. Yeah, and yeah. What's it paint? What color is it painted? Uh, so the the sub itself, 
which is like you know imagine a hot dog you yeah. know which and then there's a superstructure a fiberglass superstructure on t- on the top of it which when you're when it surfaces all you see is that fiberglass superstructure and then you got the steel hot dog underneath it mm-hmm. and uh the whole thing was 65 feet long and there's two hatches you know so we'd load We'd offload passengers in one and then start loading passengers in the other and turn around really quick. You're only on the surface for about 10, 15 minutes and then back down for another 40, 45 minute dive. And you do 12 of those a day, you know, between two shifts. Are they, how do you, how do you do oxygen? Are, are you resupplying oxygen as the passengers are coming in and out or? No. So on, on a, and this is kind of like an important distinction uh, between submarines and submersibles. Okay. Like a, a submarine is, you know, what people think of a submarine is like a military submarine, you know, where they leave port, they go underwater, and the only really reason they need to come back to port is to get food. They make their own oxygen underwater. They make their own water. They're completely self-sufficient. Uh, a submersible. And how are those powered? Those nuclear. They're nuclear powered. Nuclear. Okay. Uh, before that, they were diesel. And being nuclear. And diesel with batteries. And diesel with, okay. The diesel. And, and even the nuclear ones, I believe, have a battery backup. Okay. And the, and the nuclear, uh, is that pretty much uh, an energy forever? How long Yeah, I, I, for the most part, I think so, yeah. Um, I'm not all that familiar with um, military submarines. Uh, they are quite different than a manned submersible. Uh, so a manned submersible, which is what I'm, you know, specialized in in the last 30 years, uh, they are not self-sufficient. You have to carry oxygen. Uh, you have no way of making water or oxygen. So you, you carry cylinders of oxygen, uh, and you have to, you're, you're battery powered. So you, you need a mothership basically that, that supports you. So at the end of the dive, you go back on, onto the mothership, you charge up the batteries, you refresh the oxygen. Um, you, during a dive, uh, you, you have a slow bleed of oxygen coming into the cabin, uh, but you also scrub the carbon dioxide out of the air. So that's the two things you have to do. You have to get rid of the carbon dioxide and add oxygen. Uh, and that's what, you know, the big differentiate or difference between them. Submarine and a submersible is right. a, a submarine is self-sufficient. A submersible needs a tender. That makes Special. sense. Yeah. And um, so during these 15-minute turnovers with the guests, are, th- is that when you're adding um, oxygen? In? No, we, the, we had cylinders. We, you can you know, go for a full day? Yeah, we would go for probably a 10 days or two weeks oh, without wow. changing the cylinders. Yeah. Wow, okay. You know, we had a whole bunch of them, and they're all wired in kind of a series. And, yeah. Or not wired, but plumbed. Yeah. And uh, so it was... You know, a lot of work to swap them out. You know, it's like a big, it's like a big K cylinder, which is, you know, was about four and a half feet tall, five feet tall mm-hmm. and uh, pretty heavy. And you have to pull them out. And did, did you get any wild guests or any famous people uh, on these? Uh, not on that sub. I mean, you were just churning them through so often, you know, and never really paid attention that much not much interaction with the guests are you are you talking are you giving like yeah you you know the as a pilot you don't talk very much but you know you have a co-pilot who does uh he talks who talks who you know you've got big viewports are 22 inches across and you're going through the reef and they're you know they're looking at the different corals and the fish and you're giving them like a a a quick marine biology lesson and Mm -hmm. uh 
Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's an amazing experience for someone who, you know, doesn't even snorkel, you know, they right. don't, right. Uh, they might come from somewhere like Tennessee where, right. they, you know, they have the Tennessee river there, but never go in it. And, you know, they go to this tropical island where they get locked into this metal tube. It goes underwater and you're, you're looking at a fantastic reef down there, you know? And, uh, so yeah, it was an amazing experience. And a lot of people said it was like the trip of a lifetime. How much would it cost? That was about $80 a person. That seems reasonable. Yeah. And it was like an hour and a half, you know, from the time we left the dock, got into a tender boat, went down to where we were diving. Did, did anyone ever um, get freaked out? You know, not really. Um, so we had, uh, and I guess, you know, so I did that. And then our company bought another sub, these two little subs that would go down 800 feet. And it would take two passengers and then the pilot. And I, st I started piloting those as well. And I've done, I've done about 1,500 of those dives and lots of the, I don't know how many of the, the bigger sub dives. But, you know, people would say they're claustrophobic, you know, and then they're like, well, come on down and, and see what you think, you know. And so they sit there. And they're looking out the window and you shut the hatches and you go down and once they start seeing coral and they're engaged and they're fine. Um, and I, they, those people say they're claustrophobic, but they're not claustrophobic. You know, claustrophobic people, I guess it, maybe there's degrees of it, but they would come down the ladder to the sub. They'd look around. Nope. And they just get right back out. You know, yeah. they, they'd say that absolutely not. There's no way they're getting in that, you know, and they knew right away. Yeah. Um, uh, those people are claustrophobic. And uh, only one time in the deep sub, uh, when I was doing one of those dives, um, I was halfway down to a shipwreck that we used to go see uh, at 800 feet. And I had to stop and go back to the surface because a passenger started freaking out. How did, how did they freak out? What were they? Were they pounding on the glass no <laughs> <laughs> was there a shark did they see a shark? no you know they just uh, you know we're talking away and suddenly they just got very quiet and then finally they turned to me and i could see their their <laughs> eyes were quite wide yeah and they just said i, I gotta get out of here you know it's like all right we'll be back at the surface here shortly you know you seem like you're you're really calm and relaxed were you uh a calm and relaxed pilot. Yeah, yeah. There's always something, you know, happening in those subs. They were old, you know. So, <laughs> like, you uh... know. Sometimes you'd hear noises and, you know, just, or things would happen. You know, I had a, <laughs> had a, a little fire, you know, once. Uh, well, I didn't have a fire. I just had, I had a lot of sparks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and you're, you think about these things and you're trained in these things. And so, uh, I got down to the back of the shipwreck, shipwreck we were at and I started moving in closer to it and I just had a bunch of sparks coming out of the control module and could, right away I shut off the power, you know, and, uh, could that, did the, um, the gas, the two gas, did they see the sparks? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like fireworks inside the stuff. Oh so they kind of knew something was going on. And then you hit this, kill but switch. you know, and the first thing they do is look at you, you know, what's, what's he doing? You know, yeah. what's the pilot doing? It's like, Oh, sorry about this, but 
<laughs> I don't think we'll be able to continue your dive. And uh, as we were drifting over the shipwreck, which is amazing, you know, no power. So I'm, you know, floating along there and I'm, I switched to emergency power and I'm, you know, emergency power, uh, you know, it only powers certain things, life support and communications. And, uh, so I'm talking, you know, calling the surface and, you know, but, and they guess here everything you say. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's no hiding it you there's know, no. because they are right, <laughs> okay. right there. And, uh, you know, we're drifting over the shipwreck and I'm t- talking to him about the shipwreck because you can see it at 800 feet. There's enough sunlight that you can see really the shipwreck. Cause normally when your sub normally has floodlights on it, right? Yeah. Light. Okay. Yeah. So the lights went out, but they could still see it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so that you don't truly in a, in the Caribbean, uh, you wouldn't lose sunlight till about 1,800 feet, which That's is crazy. pretty amazing. Yeah. Tennessee River, you lose it in six inches. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, <laughs> I don't know. I've never been in it. I've uh, lived here for, you know, 12 years now. And I've, uh, I've I swim in it all the time. I I've think. dipped my toe in it a few times. I think but it's that's fine. about it. I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, okay. So we, the sparks. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> There's always been a lot of stuff that's kind of gone wrong. I've lost thrusters. I've, you know, but most of the time the passengers never knew it and I just continued to dive and, you know, or finish, even finish the day of diving. And, uh, yeah, the, the subs were built in the seventies. They, they were tired. You know, so, <laughs> and this was the nineties. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so, what did you tell your um the mothership you you told them hey there's some sparks we we're on emergency power and we're coming up yeah pretty much uh you know there there are procedures to follow if if things are really bad but you know just having a lack of power was not really a i can always go up there's multiple ways to go up even without um the the backup power system yeah yeah, uh, like a mechanical. There's a mechanical way. There's to go a mechanical up. way yeah. I could have dropped. Dropped a weight. big weight underneath uh, the sub. I could drop that. Okay. Uh, I have an air system. Uh, I can inflate that and go up. And, oh, so there's, there's yeah. two ways to go yeah, up. Yeah, there's yeah. It, uh, it, it's very difficult to get stuck on the bottom. There's only, you know, for manned subs, your biggest danger is entanglement and, and ropes, nets. Yeah. That is the danger. Yeah. Um, you know, so being stuck on the bottom by some method that this uh, malfunction of the sub just doesn't really happen. Yeah. Okay. So you weren't worried. You were calm. No, no. Everything's no, fine. Like, oh. Did you finish the tour under the emergency power? Or no, did, well, you, we, just you know, we, at that point, yeah, there's no maneuvering, but we were just drifting by the wreck and I was using the air ballast to just kind of maneuver or avoid the wreck Yeah, and uh, uh, talk to them until I, the surface was clear and they cleared me to go back up because we had cruise ships in at the time and don't want to hit those. You don't want to hit those, you know, or be close to them. So, and I had no maneuvering power, so. Just had to wait till the surface. There's a cruise ship leaving at that time, so once that was gone, I just went up and. Did you give them a refund? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were they, could they climb out of that sub any faster, or were they pretty? No, they were they pretty. Were, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you know, they're like, they're fine with it. This was before a Trip Advisor. Yeah, 
I'd like to see that review. <laughs> TripAdvisor probably ruined this whole industry. Yeah. Uh, are people still doing this? Not now. Not now with COVID. I mean, imagine. Oh, yeah. But they were doing it before COVID. Yeah. They're still. Yeah. Okay. That's. Uh, not, I want to do this. This sounds really yeah, fun. Yeah. They had. I mean, four subs in Hawaii, but spread out through the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, four or five. I think it's two two on Oahu, one in Maui, and then one on the Big Island off of uh, not Hilo. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, did you ever get? Island. Everyone wants to know the bad stories. Uh, so, like the Spark story is good. Yeah. Did you ever get ca- the entanglement? Did you ever get caught? I never got en- entangled. Uh, I went when I was training. Uh, we were going on a new area and uh, I was with this guy who was training me, probably the guy, you know, at that time he had more dives and subs than anyone else in the world. I think, you know, he probably had like 4,000, you know, which is ridiculous. Um, And so we're doing a training and it was right halfway between where the big sub was diving and the dock. And so, uh, we were diving down the spot and, and I'm coming up and, uh, I'm coming up the wall because Cayman, Cayman is the top of an underwater mountain and the walls or the sides of this mountain are very steep. You know, they're nearly vertical from, from about 600 feet down. They're straight up to within about 90 feet of the surface hmm. or 60 feet, depending on what part of the island you are. And, but about 300 feet, there's what they call the wave notch. And, 20,000 years ago, during the last ice age, mm-hmm. the water level was down about 300 feet from where it is now. Wow. And the waves wore a notch into the island. You know, so there's an undercut of about 30 feet. Oh, that's big. Yeah. And so you can go in there, and at that depth, uh, you know, so you have two different types of corals. You have hard corals and you have soft corals. And up in the shallower reef, it's a big competition between the two of them for space. But if you want to th- see, like, the colorful corals are the soft corals. And you have yellows and purples and reds and oranges, orange. And uh, uh, once you get down below the level where the hard corals can't grow, because hard corals have uh, algae uh, in them, so they need sunlight, a lot more sunlight than the um, than the soft corals. So once you get below about 200 feet, it's just the soft corals. And in this wave notch, it's, it's only sponges and it's incredibly colorful and just all different shapes and, and sizes and colors. And, and it's amazing. But anyways, I was in that wave notch and, uh, it came time to back out of that wave notch. And of course I was training and it was just basically, on the consulate, the, the, how we drove the, the sub, there was a, a switch, a three-position switch, forward, neutral, and reverse. And then your speed was just a little knob that you rotate. Mm-hmm. And so I was, had it in forward uh, for going you know, ahead or going into this wave notch. And then I put it into neutral. And when it came time to start backing out, I just started turning the knob for the speed and nothing was happening. And I'm like, oh, whoops, you know, I, I got, I have to go into reverse. Yeah. So I turned the, the speed switch off, 
hit reverse and then turn my potentiometer or my speed switch. Anyways, I just didn't do that fast enough and the sub hit the top of the overhang. Oh, because you were ascending. You yeah, were... because it's going up very slowly. And uh, I there, there's crash guards all over the sub. And anyway, so I knocked off a, a rock and it landed <laughs> on the top of the sub. And, you know, we were going up very slowly. We were just very slightly positively buoyant. So this rock, I think, probably only weighed 10 or 15 pounds. Uh, but it was enough to make me start going back down again. Mm. And uh, and as we start going down and, and, you know, you knock off this rock and there's all the silt and all the silt starts pouring in front of the viewport. And this uh, pilot, uh, Troy, who was training me, he looks around and he goes, why are we going back down? <laughs> and I said, well, there's a rock on top of the sub. <laughs> and I said, it's not that big a deal. It's just a air ballast you know so i'll just use air ballast and overcome it but he he, he was the guy training you right yeah so yeah. and he was the guy that had the most sub yeah. dives oh, in, yeah. so he, he knew what was going on oh he? yeah yeah but you okay. know if you know I, I think like he's like me he's a control freak you know yeah. if he's in the sub he wants to be driving it, yeah you know and, oh so that is uh, so yeah you know like you know what what's going on here we're going back down when we should be going back up and i can't see anything with all this you know yeah. dirt is on the front viewport yeah. now Anyways, I, I start, I overcome it with ballast and I got this rock on the top of the sub and I look at my watch. I know it's about time that the, the tender boat coming from mm -hmm. the big sub is going back to the dock. And my priority at that point was to get to the surface, hop out of the sub and get rid of the evidence, you know, before <laughs> anyone sees it. Uh, so I hit the. I got clearance did you, to surface. Did you tell control panel you had a rock on? No, no. <laughs> I, you kept that secret. No, it's just, you know, got clearance to surface. They gave us clearance, and I pop up to the surface. I pop the hatch. I jump out. I grab the rock. I throw it in the water, and I look up, and then there's a tender boat for the you know, heading back to the dock. And I thought, you know, I think I got away with that, you know. And uh, and then when we got back to the dock later that day after a couple more dives, um, you know. Somebody says, hey, it's the Prudential Man, you know, own a piece of the rock, you know, which was, <laughs> yep. just, you know, the ad from way back when, you know. And so I, did, I didn't get away with it, and I had that nickname for a while. and But, uh, yeah. But it wasn't scary. It wasn't scary, no. I, I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff that happened. Most, most times, you know, I never had to cancel a dive or the passengers never knew it's, no heart attacks or no, no pregnancies or what? How do you go to the, how do you go to the bathroom? Uh, you had an empty gallon jug. Yeah. yeah. Have, have you had to use that? No. Back then I was young. I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you could go all day. Yeah. yeah. Stand the sub all day, drink plenty of water. And yeah. Like, yeah. No, you just, uh, yeah. And the passengers never did anyone puke or, uh, not in that sub. Uh, one time we, we would do weddings. We, we did a wedding once and, uh, the, we, we had two of these subs, these two deep subs. Not the, they're not getting married down there. Yeah. No, oh, they get married underwater. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Uh, so I had, uh, they had to get special permission because there was a law in the Cayman Islands that the door to the church must be open oh. when you're getting married. And of course, you're in a sub, so Can't. that's not going to happen. Uh, but I had the the bridegroom in my sub, and in the other sub, there was the preacher and the witness, and they had. And, and so we went down to about 600 feet, 
and uh, we put the subs on this little sandy bit and you know faced them against each other and we were going to do the whole thing over communications <laughs> talking this is- uh, from one sub to another yeah you know it, it, and there is a bit of a slope there and it takes a while to get the sub situated and you know the bride and the groom had been drinking a bit that day yeah and, uh, and it took us a while to get situated but once we did we were perfect and she turns around and goes I gotta go pee <laughs> So, you know, it's like, oh, we'll get into the back of the sub there and here's the gallon jug and, you know, have at it. And, but, uh, and then they got married. She then peed, they got married. She peed yeah. and they got married. And, yeah. Wow. Um, and you were, you were one of the witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to sign the paperwork? No, nah, they had their witness. Uh, that the was other. a friend of theirs. So. Okay. It was pretty, pretty casual. Have you ever been scared in a sub, submersible? Uh, not really. I mean, there's no, not not that I can really think of. You know, back when I was training, you know, the the older pilots would come out of the water and or come out of the sub and say, "Oh, the current down there is it's screaming today," you know. And when you're a new pilot, you know, <laughs> yeah, you you don't want that. You know, it's hard enough as it is. Uh, so that would, you know, but that's more like. They're they're trying to intimidate you. Is that kind of yeah? It was of just that? it was just something to you know yeah, just to mess with you. I've never felt like I my life was in danger or anything like that. What about um, animals? What kind of wildlife have you seen? Have you seen sharks? Yeah, um, tiger sharks. Um, I've seen tiger sharks down six seven hundred feet, which is kind of amazing. Um, do, do sharks not go that deep? Uh, some do. I thought uh, the great whites went really far. They put trackers. I thought. Well, I don't know about how deep great whites go, but I know they have a, a, a massive migration mm-hmm. uh, that they'll do. Um, uh, six gill sharks are in the Caribbean. There's not a lot known about them because they're very deep dwellers. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, you can go scuba diving with them uh, off of like Canada, hmm. um, off the west coast of Canada, and uh, and Washington. Uh, so, I think it might be a slightly different species, but but it looks similar to a great white. Uh, no, they're quite large, uh, but they don't have a dorsal fin, oh. which is kind of unusual about them. So that's one giveaway if you see one. If yeah. it doesn't have a dorsal fin, you know it's a six gill. Yeah, but we would see those. We did a filming of, uh, I think it was Blue Planet, uh, one of the BBC programs, and uh, uh, we had a, a scientist down there. They chartered the sub, mm-hmm. uh, or two of them, and uh, yeah, they, we were filming the six skills. Uh, was that week? Was that in the? Were you? Was that still when you worked in the Cayman Islands? Yeah, uh, on that particular program, I was just support. I was uh, keeping the subs running. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing the maintenance and and I was like you know able to pilot in case something went you know one of the other pilots couldn't make it have, have you seen a whale not uh, I have not seen a whale but uh, in uh, in our operation in Maui uh, that's like a common occurrence around in the in the winter time yeah you know, the, the humpbacks yeah they they go past Lahaina yeah and I've uh seen yeah and uh the, it's basically the calves from the previous year they're very curious 
mm-hmm. and uh, they would come right up to the sub and uh, kind of look around. And and at that point, uh, the law prohibits you from doing anything. So yeah, you, you can't move your vessel. Yeah. And yeah, yeah and I I think uh, I've seen pictures from you know some of the pilots. I mean, the whale is like right there on the sub, and stayed there for like 45 minutes you know i mean the people never got to dive but i mean they had the the show of a lifetime really yeah i was in maui uh stand-up paddleboarding right outside of lahaina Hmm. between lahaina and kihei actually okay that road right there before the tunnel yeah um it's really flat and i was paddleboarding i went i don't know how far off of shore i went uh eighth of a mile Mm -hmm. and um we saw whales like, you know, surfacing and blowing and stuff earlier, but hadn't seen one in a while. And, and I was out there all by myself and, uh, one surfaced 75, 50, 75 feet away from me. Wow. And, uh, and I was so far away from shore. You didn't hear the traffic. Yeah. And it was really still. And, um, you just heard it breathe. And it yeah. was this deep breath. It was just like, yeah, yeah, and uh, it was a surreal moment. It was really cool. That's uh, yeah. I'm just thinking back on that. That was really a special moment. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I so when I lived in Maui, uh, working for the same company, um, in the Lahaina there, and we were based a half mile offshore at the time on a mooring, and yeah, every year, um, while we would do maintenance at night, uh. You know, in the summer, or sorry, in the winter, yeah, one of those calves would come next to the sub, you know, mm. to the just kind of rubbing against it and oh, touch it, yeah. And then the, like the mother would come and just like peel it away, you know, and then they would continue on. But it would happen like you know once a year, you'd have that experience, and yeah, it's amazing, you know. I, and yeah, that just a deep. It it's sounds so it deep. sounds like you know a bunch of air rushing out of a cave or something like that, you know. Yeah, it just yeah, it's just a. It's Amazing a tremendous experience. amount of yeah. air coming yeah. out of their lungs. I also... Um, and smells really bad, too. <laughs> I wasn't that close <laughs> enough, but I imagine. Mm. I imagine it would. Um, I also led dirt bike tours behind Lahaina, mm. up in the old uh, cane fields. Yeah. Or yeah. Pine- was it the cane fields or the pineapple? Uh, it would have been cane fields. Canes the there? Okay. Yeah. And um, we go up there um on a tour i'd lead it and you're way above uh, way up on the hills there's some old cook pines there some pine trees yeah we go up there and uh we'd have breaks and you could see that sometimes some days you could just be on the dirt bike and and you'd see the whales yeah from way up there blowing yeah and and i just look around and like oh, it's a pretty good job how i wonder yeah. how i got this one riding yeah. dirt bikes what was really whales. what was really cool is uh at night uh, you know, I'd, I'd be, we had a towboat, um, called the Roxy and I'd go, uh, in the engine room and it was a steel hole. Mm-hmm. So it just, it, the, the sound would come right through it yeah. and you could hear him singing away at night, you know, and, uh, it's really kind of cool, a really cool experience, you know? And, and when it was light outside, you know, you could, yeah. Uh, during the height of the season, you could probably at any given time see six or seven different pods out there did you move to hawaii to uh do this job i moved to hawaii to surf uh and uh so i could surf more because the uh surfing in the cayman islands was not great and 
Uh, so you'd you'd surf. There's a lot of famous waves in uh, yeah. in Maui. Oh yeah, yeah. Jaws. But Jaws. Yeah. Did you do Jaws? No, no, uh, no. I once it once waves get like over eight or nine feet, it kind of takes the fun out of it, you know. So I most of the time I'd surf. I lived uh, on the uh, Haleakala. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. I had about a 40-minute commute from Lahaina. How, how high up? Because that's the volcano. That's, that's, that's about 10,000 feet. I, I lived yeah. in Pukalani, which is about 1,200 foot yeah. of elevation. Okay. And uh, I, I hung around, uh, uh, P, what is it, with the P? P-A? Um, the hippie town. Uh, Paella. Paella? No, wait, that's Paella. Oh, yeah, that's Spanish for uh, rice <laughs> and shrimp or something. Um, uh, it starts with a P. You might be right. might be Paella. And then yeah. Makawao. Isn't there Makawao? Yeah, Makawao. Yeah, I'd hang out around there. They had a, they had a dairy in Makawao. And they their ad would come on the, you know, the, <laughs> the, the radio. Farm? It's like the happy cows of Makawao. And, uh, <laughs> and like to, the, to this day, that's like a joke with my wife. And I, oh, look, the happy cows of Makawao. You know? I think Oprah has like two houses in oh, yeah. Maui. Yeah, there's. I got stuck playing golf once behind... Uh, uh, Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson. You know, I think they were. Were they not that good? They were slow. <laughs> I think they were enjoying a few drinks and uh, <laughs> yeah. the, some some marijuana. So yeah, uh, nobody's in that much of a hurry. So oh my, Hawaii has this island time that is a real thing. Yeah, and oh, I yeah. and I didn't really realize that till I was with my boss, the more the dirt bike uh, tour guy, and we were trying to get an oil change in his F one fifty. And uh, it was like a Friday, and we called three different places. We went to three different places, and uh, it's like 1 o'clock, and they're like, oh, we don't, you know, it might be an hour, so okay, go to a different place. Uh, and they're like, ah, it's Friday, you know, we're sending our guys home. And then we get to Walmart, and it's like 3 o'clock, and they're like, well, we close in about an hour and a half, so we can't do it. And we're like, it's an oil change. Hour and a half, you can't do it. And uh, and and Mike, my boss, is like, yeah, this is just, yeah, that's Hawaii. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Michigan does not know about that, because that's where I grew up. Yeah. Michigan's like, oh, you want to pay me money? I will do it right now. Yeah. It's completely different culture. Yeah. Ten minutes, I'll do it in eight. Yeah, exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. You're thinking about leaving? Why don't you just stay, and yeah. I'll do it for you. Yeah. So yeah, that's oh yeah. Certainly, there's an island time. And, yeah, uh, and and some people just can't adjust to it. You know, that was that's one thing. I mean, I I moved there. I was I left the Cayman Islands. Uh, my wife, at, girlfriend at the time, uh, she came with me. Mm-hmm. We didn't have jobs, mm-hmm. uh, but by the time we were we would travel across the states for three months. Uh, Back, or not backpacking, but just camping. You kind of road Nash- tripped from yeah. the Cayman to Hawaii? Yeah, just, uh, you know, across the states. We only had a couple of firm dates. I think uh, Grand Canyon and Yellowstone. Uh, everything else was just kind of, you know, we like it. We stayed. We didn't. We just kept on going. And, uh, but once we got to Ho- Hawaii, I had a job with the, the company. They had offered me a job. But my wife had a very hard time. Uh, finding a job because the average time somebody moves to the island before they leave is three months because you know the they just can't adjust uh, the island time I you know rock fever if you call it that um, is that where you kind of feel trapped yeah yeah you know and it's like 
so it was hard for my wife to find a job and you know she she was saying well look you know the island i just moved from you could fit it between these two mountain peaks here you know and uh but eventually she she did find a job so what'd she end up doing uh she worked for ge capital hmm. a finance company and they did uh loans to like for construction did you own a house yeah we we that, we bought our first house up in uh, pukalani it was like this old uh, these old hippies owned it, and you know, this was so. This was '97, uh, probably, and this house was probably from the '70s, and had still had like the orange and the green shag carpet, and uh, and the guy who owned it would rent out rooms to windsurfers and stuff like that, and that's so. That was our first house. Did you? How much was it? Did it cost? Cost three hundred thousand. Okay. And uh, yeah, we sold it for twice that. Good for you. About four years later. Yeah. Oh, wow. Four, yeah. Doubled in four years. Yeah. So why did why'd you leave Hawaii? Uh, I was on night shifts all the time, and uh, they wanted me back to go back to Cayman, uh, the company, and they just kept on making me offers, and we thought we'd go back. So we kept our house, and uh, we went back to Cayman, um, turned our house over to a rental agency, Went to Cayman thinking that we'd go back to Hawaii at some point and just never did. And, uh, uh, yeah, so in total we lived in Cayman for 17 years except for the three we were in Hawaii. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, why did you decide to leave Cayman? Eh, it was time. You know, we, we had, in 2005 uh, or 2004, we went through Hurricane Ivan, which is a pretty bad hurricane, Category 4, Category 5. Uh, went through the island, devastated it, uh, and after everything was done and the house was repaired, yeah, and we were just kind of ready to come back. Rosie wanted to move back closer to her parents. Her parents were in Florida, but they moved up here, uh, over on the other side of uh, Cleveland into Old Fort. They had a farm over there, and uh, we would come up and visit. And I thought, you know, yeah, I could move here. You know, I grew up in Southern California, uh, Hawaii, and Cayman. I'd never seen seasons. I never saw seasons until I moved here, you know. And, or, elev- well, yeah, mountains. You have mountains in, in uh, Maui. Yeah, but you don't have seasons there, no. you know. And, uh, yeah, so I never really saw them until I moved here. And I, I was fascinated by them, you know. And I, I still am, you know. I've been here 12 years now, and I just think it's fantastic. And also didn't realize I had allergies until I moved here. <laughs> <laughs> what ha- what uh, what are you sensitive to? I think everything in yeah. the spring. You know, there's like yeah. a there's about a two month period there where I'm pretty miserable. You know, and uh, uh, I like to be on the ship. You know, so but sh- I guess we haven't got to that part yet. But yeah, no. so uh, yeah, I I, I kind of like to be working on the ship at that point <laughs> in yeah. the spring. Do you what do you do? Uh, what do you enjoy about Chattanooga? What do you do you enjoy the outdoors? Do you dive around here? I, you know, I dive at the aquarium. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm starting to hear a lot of people that do that. Yeah. Uh, I volunteer there, uh, because my work schedule is, uh, very erratic. Uh, I only fill in last minute for people who can't make it. You know, I, I, most of the divers there, there's about, uh, 200 divers. Yeah. It's all volunteer. Um, and, 
but they ever, pay for they pay for your air and stuff, right? Yeah, so that's they kinda... they provide you equipment and everything you need. Yeah, uh, all you all you need to do is show up with your wetsuit and your mask and you know your fins and. Two hundred divers is unbelievable. Yeah, that's, I would not think there's that many in Chattanooga. But there's not. Uh, people come from Atlanta. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Knoxville, from all over. Is it uh, a fun? Is it a fun job to die? What are they doing? Cleaning the tanks? Or? Yeah, you know. So you, well, the COVID thing has kind of changed up things. But uh, normally, uh, in a normal situation, you show up at eight thirty, you hit the water at nine in the saltwater tank. And uh, you're cleaning uh, all the the corals in there. Not coral; everything's concrete, but it looks like coral. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you just basically go in there and you clean the algae off of all this. To keep with it nice a, and clean. with a, a scotch scotch pad. Yeah, scotch pad. You know, clean the windows. Well, and, it uh, really is. And a, yeah, yeah, a scotch pad or a, a plastic brush, and uh, and then you do that dive for an hour. And then you break up into two different groups. One group goes over to River Journey, and mm-hmm. there's two tanks over there that the volunteers dive in. Uh, there's the Nickajack, which is like all the local fish, and then they have the River Giants, mm-hmm. uh, and they have like the big freshwater stingrays and uh, uh, arapimas. Yeah, just like big fish from the Amazon, and uh, yeah. Uh, that's my favorite tank because, and you get to feed over there, uh, and you don't get to feed over in the saltwater tank because of the sharks. You know, I guess they don't want you in the water. Nah. And uh, so, anyways, yeah, I, I go. I like to go over there and feed the freshwater stingrays because that's like a full contact sport. I mean, they're they're mugging you basically do, for the food. Uh, do they have the stingers in them? Were they removed? No, they still have them. Okay, but they're you know. They're a defensive mechanism, and yeah. and they've associated the divers with food, with food, and, yeah. and so they're they're very aggressive for the food, but I, they're they're not uh, defensive, you know. I went on a snorkeling trip in Key Cocker off of Belize. Okay, and um, yeah, that's one thing that we did. We fed the stingrays, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> we were in about three foot of water, and and the the guide would grab one and let you hold it. And yeah. you kind of go, you kind of let them float on top of the water and you can just kind of hold them, massage them a little bit. And they um, kind of get in a trance and, and then eventually get tired of it and wiggle the yeah. other way out of there. Yeah. And they have a place like that in Cayman too. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think the aquariums that have, I was in Chicago Aquarium and they had stingrays you could pet. Oh yeah. But those all had the stingers removed. Yeah. For, yeah. Safety. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would be a bad PR day. That would be a bad, <laughs> bad review for sure. <laughs> so you dive here. Do you dive in any um, any of the quarries? No. You're just not interested? No. Do you do any freshwater diving? Uh, I have done some, but not here. Uh, Lake Superior, I think, would no, be good. I, I dove in Iceland. Okay. Uh, in a freshwater spring, which is the clearest water I've ever seen. Clearer than and, the Cayman. Oh, yeah, by far. Uh you know, you, you get into this, it's, it's basically, uh, you know, the, the tectonic plates between Europe and the United States, you yep. know, they're, they're, they're splitting and we're slowly getting yeah. further away, from further Europe, away. I right. Believe. And, uh, you know, so you're between there or, or that, that is 
I, I don't know what latitude it starts at, but it's quite far south, but it runs underwater. It almost kind of ends in Iceland, you know, and uh, and this there's this place called Silfa Fisher, which is spring fed by the glaciers. And uh, you can hop into the water there and uh, you go down this ladder and the current from the spring kind of takes you along and... It's about 300 feet before the water or the, the, the path kind of takes a little turn to the right. Uh, but I remember doing that and turning around 300 feet away from it and being able to see the ladder like it was plain as day. Wow. I mean, that, that's amazing. But the catch here is that that water is 37 degrees. I figured yeah. it was cold. <laughs> so, Glacier fed. So, yeah. Are, do you wear a dry suit under yeah. there? Yeah, you wear a dry Completely suit. Completely dry. Yeah. Wow. What's that feel like uh, being in such cold? Do you still, is it kind of like putting your hand against the side of a cold van? Uh, how does it feel? You're not wet, but you're. You feel, you know, when you're wearing a dry suit, you feel the. The pressure. The pressure. Yeah. Uh, you feel that more uh, than you would if you were just wearing a, a wetsuit because wet, a wetsuit, it, it's. It, it's not there's no airspace in there and with a dry suit there's air spaces and they can start squeezing you a little bit as that you know as you go down and yeah you know, the volume decreases and uh so yeah you you tend to feel the pressure a bit more in the do you have any electric vests on or anything inside no. the dry suit no no um some people will use different gases to put into the dry suit hmm. to uh, equalize the pressure. Yeah. Or you know, most people would just have uh, an extra hose coming from their tank, and that's connected to the dry suit. And as you go down, you just add a little bit of air. Yeah, and it may- relieves the pressure. Yeah. Kind of neutralizes And uh, But some people will have a different tank, and they'll use like argon, and uh, and they'll say that it keeps you warmer. Oh, argon. Oh, the argon, the gas yeah. that... It, yeah. Do they put that between windows in like a double pane window? Yeah. Yes, because yeah. it doesn't allow. It's inert. It's, so yes. It doesn't bond with anything. Exactly. Yeah. A, a very weld, interesting. A welding gas as well. So. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Have you ever dove in Crater Lake, Oregon? No. Um, you know the the volcano with the. It's in Oregon. It's yeah. a national park. Um, it, had, it was a volcano, top blew off of it, and now the it's just a lake, and it's very deep. Okay. I, I think the water there, uh, is it really super clear? Super clear. I think a friend of mine I don't recently know. put photos on Instagram of him diving okay. in there. So. I don't, you see, now I just asked because I don't know if you're allowed to. Uh, it's one of my life goals. I want to paddleboard it, which I don't even know if it's legal. Yeah. But there's only, there's one boat in there, and they brought it in, this I mean, it's the top of a mountain. They brought it in with a helicopter, and uh, you pay money, and you can get a little boat ride on it. Uh-huh. But uh, it's very pristine, clear. Um, Crater Lake's pretty cool. The The way it can never get more full because um, as the water rises, it finds its way. It's like gravelly, and yeah. it'll just French drain its way out past oh, okay. a certain height. Oh, okay. Um Man, there's a lot. If you look Crater Lake, there's a lot of really cool things about it. It's it's substan. It's far more deep than you would think it is. Yeah, I don't want to say a thousand feet, but it's deep. Oh wow, it's very deep. So, I don't know if you could 
do your sub there. Yeah. Sometime <laughs> in the covert operation. Yeah. Yeah. The park ranger shows up and, you know, hey, there's a sub in the park. What, what else do you do in, uh, in Chattanooga? Um, I, uh, I have a wood shop. I spend a lot of time in. There you go. I like to take, uh, uh, like industrial items and turn them into furniture. Um, I have a sawmill, so I, you know, I cut my own wood and, uh, so I spent a lot of time in my shop. Uh, we bought an old house, so fixing that up. Um, yeah. So don't you have a pet goat? I do have two goats. So I've got uh, <laughs> I've got Bert and Ernie. <laughs> Bert, uh, that's it. Yeah, Bert and Ernie. Uh, yeah, and they're uh, yeah they they're they're two uh, cool goats, and I just I let them out to roam, you know, and they follow me around. It, People don't realize that goats are quite cool pets, and, and they're quite smart, and they like to be around people. They like know? making funny faces. Yeah, and they, like if I'm working in the yard, they always have to keep an eye on me. You know, so if I, uh, I've got a little, like a gator, or work, I've got a workman. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, if I go around the corner, I, I'm out, and they're out, out of their eyesight, you know, Two minutes later, they're running around that corner, you know, just to keep an eye on you, you know. Why do they like to do that? I, I don't know. They just like to be around people. You but know? they know you're the, the, the man because you feed him, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, but yeah, they're they're very friendly, you know, and I like them. I do, like they, do they ever, uh, you know, with goats, they ever run up behind you and ram you? I Only once uh, I was feeding them and one... Uh, Bert always rams Ernie and I was, I had a scoop of food and I was walking back to their pen and Ernie put his head down and he went to headbutt Bert or Ernie and, uh, and I was in the middle of it between them. So he hit me and <laughs> it, it, you know, did he feel of, bad or not really notice? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if goats feel bad about what <laughs> their actions, you know, as they're chewing, you know, parts of like your car or something like that. How many boots have you lost to the goats? Uh, I haven't lost. They're, you know, they're kind of picky eaters sometimes. People say, oh, they'll eat anything. They'll try anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they eat paper, you know, or, uh, yeah. They'll they'll try a lot of stuff, but then they'll spit it out. They'll spit it out, or you know, they'll just move on. They'll they'll finish eating it and they'll just move on to the next thing. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they're they're great pets. Yeah. So, uh, how do you um? So you say you you say you don't have a resume, and people always offer you jobs. Uh, what was the next job you got offered after the? The Cayman Islands. So, uh, so in around 2004, I was going to leave the company and start my own company and doing boat maintenance, uh, and submarine maintenance. Uh, no, just boats. Uh, because at that time I had, you know, we'd moved, we moved back to Cayman's in 2000 and, I took over the maintenance department and I had, I don't know how many boats total, you know, probably about 12, 13 boats, three submarines, mm -hmm. tender boats, all sorts of little ones. For the and, same company, Atlantis? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I was going to start my own company and 
just doing boat maintenance. And um, were you tired? I, were you tired of being tired a pilot? Of yeah, yeah. Just I, I like the maintenance type type of thing. You know, the, the driving a sub. You know, you, you get to a point where you're not learning anymore. It's but the same thing every it's day. It's the same thing, you know, and the but, same jokes. Yeah, and yeah. but when it comes to maintenance, uh, you know, man, every, every day was a school day, you know, and uh, so I really enjoyed that. So I, I love learning new things. That's fu- that's funny. Everything's a school day, and you love learning new things. Yeah, um, but high school wasn't. Well, I, maybe this is something I developed later in it life. Could be. <laughs> could be. High school, I was kind of bored too. But uh, so, anyways, uh, I was going to start my own company, and this company out of Seattle uh, kind of headhunted me, and they wanted me to come to Vancouver to finish building a submarine that was going to be put onto a yacht. And uh, so this was 2005. This yacht was built in 2003. And uh, they said, it's only going to be for three months. I said, that's fine. I've got a business here. I want to come back and build that. And uh, and they kept, reassur- you know, kept reinforcing that, you know, hey, this is only for three months. That's fine. And uh, so I went up there. And they had all sorts of, they were having all sorts of issues. Uh, they had too many experts. It's one of those situations where there's too many experts on the, on the Ooh, thing. And they had too the many, wrong, too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. And the wrong type of experts, you know, and, uh, they had submarine experts when they should have had submersible experts. And anyways, uh, uh, the captain of the yacht came out in December and I was showing him around. We learned how to snowboard together in the local mountains in Vancouver and, uh, and he said, Hey, you know, I think you'd be a good fit onto the yacht. How'd you like to come work on the yacht? And I said, no, oh, that sounds good. So <laughs> December 1st, 2005, I became an employee of, uh, of this company and the yacht was called octopus and it was owned by Paul Allen who started Microsoft with Bill Gates. And I think, uh, Paul Allen retired from Microsoft in 1982 he started this company called Vulcan, which basically it looked after all his passion projects. And Paul Allen was a, a brilliant man. I mean, he just had so many interests and in so many different things. And so he started this company and all these departments there would start working on things he was interested in. And that reminds me of kind of like Richard Branson. Yeah, I mean, he's got his hands in a lot of different pipes, doesn't he? You yeah, know? and uh, a lot of weird things. That, yeah, you space know. travel. Well, uh, you know, yeah, he had a record, record store, airline. Yeah, you know, uh, I think he does hot air balloons for fun, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, uh, and, and so Paul Allen built this yacht. Uh, it was launched in 2003. It was called Octopus. Mm-hmm. It's 414 feet long, uh, 127 meters. And this submarine was supposed to go on to it when it was launched in 2003. I started in 2005 and the submarine still wasn't done. And uh, eventually. And you got headhunted, headhunted for yeah. this job. Yeah. To 
to get this sub. To finish, help finish building the sub and get it integrated onto the yacht. So you must have had quite the reputation. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I I just, I knew the right people. Okay. And uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know a lot of times. I I say that all the time. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, you know, subs have to be, subs, well, it's an insurance. It comes down to insurance. Uh, if you're building a submarine, it has to be classed by society. So you have uh, American Bureau of Shipping. You have Lloyd's of London. Uh, you have uh, GL, Germanish or Lloyd. Um, and there's a few other ones out there. And they're basically engineering societies. And they basically look at your drawings. They look at your procedures. And... They will give you a certificate saying everything is okie dokie. You know, you looks like your people know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Looks like your engineering is right. We will let we will give you a certificate from our class society, and then you get that and you run to your insurance company and said, "Look, I've got this. Yeah, give me insurance now." Mm-hmm. So, if you're have a yacht that's registered in a country like Cayman Islands, which there's a, a lot of yachts there and you want to put a submarine on it, they say, well, your submarine has to be classed. Ah. And, and ships are classed as well. And, uh, but submarines as well, or manned subs, uh, submersibles. And anyways, uh, I knew the people who, who were in Cayman who were the, the class people there, or the, sorry, not the class people. The regulators or the the registration people, you know, and, and they were involved with the, the build from the beginning and they were having problems and they, Oh, and it's a small Island. It's a small Island. And it's, you know, and they said, Hey, are you interested? At the time I really wasn't. And I actually got involved in a different way later on, but yeah, it's yeah. But anyways, uh, I, I ended up staying on the yacht, uh, and, becoming a sub the pilot for the sub that we had integrated onto it and uh and that was 2005 and I've, i'm still with that company so and now we're here we are in 220 2020 yeah and uh nearly towards the end of it but uh i've been working for them i worked on the yacht uh and this yacht at the time when it was launched, it was the largest yacht ever built. And what's it, is that a definition thing? I mean, what what's between a ship and a yacht and uh, a cargo? You know, the, barge. Th- this is a expedition yacht. You know, so it's a certain style of yacht. Um, it's got an ice rated hull, uh, so it was actually meant to. You know, it can circumnavigate the the planet no problem. You know, it, it can go through. It's got, I think, a class three ice rated hole, which means it can go at a certain speed into uh, ice that's a year old, you know, so fairly thin mm-hmm. um, at a certain speed, head on. But what about icebergs? No. Okay. Uh, and uh, so like a, because it has a bulbous bow sticking out the front, yeah. right? Like a icebreaker doesn't have a bulbous bow. It slides up onto and ice. And then the weight of the boat the weight breaks of the boat, it. Yeah, it goes down and breaks it. Uh, but, 
Yeah, so there's all sorts of different ice ratings and thickness of the hole and everything. When you're when you're driving through ice, how do you know that it's only a year old ice versus okay, there's a hidden iceberg? Yeah. Uh, so uh, you re- quite often, and when we went to, we've been to Antarctica uh, twice, and uh, did the Northwest Passage, which is the trip from the Atlantic to the Pacific or vice versa, uh, over the top of Canada, uh, done that three times or four times. Um, and you usually take on an ice pilot and, Mm. and they're, they're the experience and they, they can tell you the the conditions and what, what the ice is that you're going through. Are they, do they have, uh, instrumentation? No, they're just, just their eyes. Yeah. They're just like, they can, they can look at it and say, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, you're fine going through that or okay. stay, stay, stay clear of it. Or, wow. Uh, uh, man, Antarctica. What's Antarctica like? It's, it, it's a phenomenal place. Um, and for, you know, for me being interested in marine biology since I was a kid, yeah. all the marine life there, uh, it's amazing. You know, penguins, you know, never seen a penguin before in the, in the wild, you know, so to see them in their natural habitat, that's amazing. And the icebergs, you know, and, uh, yeah, just the amount of sea life down there. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. I saw penguins, um, in the wild in Cape town. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know they were going to be there. Yeah. That, there's that was, a few places. There's um, no, it was hot. I was wearing a tank top. It was, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like 90 degrees. Why are there penguins on this beach? Yeah. That uh, doesn't make sense. I, I had my little GoPro on a selfie stick and uh, I was just getting real close to him. And one of them pecked the camera. It goes, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But um, it's not what you think for penguins. Yeah. Yeah. Out of place. Yeah. Did you see him sliding in the snow and that kind of stuff? or? No. Or? No, they're just kind of hanging out. Just, and, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Just. Uh, I would go ashore with the guides and, uh, uh, you know, we had a boat full of guests. Um, uh, this is a yacht. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, so Mr. Allen was on board and, uh, I w- we had a lot of guides and I would go ashore with them, uh, to help get things ready. Yeah. Actually, I shouldn't say I was helping them up because I was, <laughs> you were just playing. I, I was, uh, I would just go for the ride and, yeah. uh, uh, I had my camera with me and I would just do like a hundred yard dash of photography, you know, whatever yeah. place we were at. And, uh, then get back onto the boat and go back to the yacht so that the pat, the guest could, could go to shore. You know? Yeah. So, you were the shuttle guy. Uh, I was just hitching a ride, you know, oh. I, I was, oh. you know, okay. again, I was a submarine pilot and we had a remotely operated vehicle on there. And, uh, so I, I, and I helped with a lot of diving, scuba diving as well. You know, Paul Allen, uh, was an avid scuba diver. Mm. And so, uh, that was a great thing, you know? Um, so you'd scuba dive with him. Yeah. Him and his guests. Um, and normally our dive, we had a, a designated dive master on board and Paul Allen was his responsibility. Yeah. Um, and I would maybe be looking after, some of his, his guests or, yeah. or, or repeat guests that he would travel with. And, uh, so I've been able to dive all around the world and, and the best dive sites in the world, uh, multiple times, 
over the last 15 years. And unfortunately, Paul Allen died a few years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, and his diving kind of tapered off at the end. But. Yeah. Um, were you on a first-name basis? Would you call him Mr. Allen or Paul? What's up, Paul? You know, I, I would call him Paul. Uh, in the submarine, uh, you know. When you're the boss, <laughs> you're like. <laughs> I just like to, you know, keep things fairly casual, you know. and uh, You'd have to tell him to sit down. Paul, no. you got to sit down. <laughs> you know, I, so, you know, just say, hi, Paul, how are you? You know, okay. just. It just kept things very casual. And he was a nice nice guy, uh, really smart. Asked to, you know, and it was amazing, right? So here's a guy, uh, I don't know how many proper different properties he owned. He owned three different yachts um, mm. at, at the same time. Uh, he had all, he had Vulcan with about 800 employees looking after all his different interests. And he would come on the submarine, and, or the submersible, and he would ask really pointed questions about this, the sub, you know, about the design parameters of the sub that he was involved with. How is this working? Or you know, uh, so I, I I was always just kind of blown away by how familiar he was with that one small part of yeah given all his ventures yeah. he's yeah. a part of yeah so th- that was pretty yeah he was, a, he was a brilliant guy do you have any any special um you know one-on-one paul moments um you know we were in uh bikini atoll you mm-hmm. know where they tested all the uh nuclear mm-hmm. you know atom bombs and stuff and uh we were going, uh, so I guess a bit of background. So for about 17, 18, nearly 20 years, the United States tested, I, I can't remember how many, like 20, 20 to 30 nuclear weapons on this little atoll in the Pacific called Bikini Atoll. And uh, they basically took a bunch of ships there after World War II and uh, arranged them in like a, a spoke pattern, like for a wheel. Like for, they had a hub in the middle, and, and all the spokes were kind of ships going outwards. And they blew up a couple of different bombs. Um, Abel and Baker were the two biggest ones. And they had, um, they had planes on the deck of aircraft carriers, and they had... Uh, uh, big Japanese battleships that they had captured from World War II. Um, but we were, and it's fairly shallow. It's in 150 feet of water. So, you know, and this sub rain could hold eight passengers and go down 1,200 feet. So it was, you know, pretty easy it's diving and, and fantastic diving there. And, you know, so we're going by this one plane that uh, um, it's turned upside down. There's still a bomb in the bomb bay and the doors are open. And the you know the landing gear is down, and uh, there's not much room between the landing gear and the prop. And and the guide was with us. Says, "Oh, if you go over the top of this, you'll be able to see the bomb." And and Paul Allen says, "Oh, can we? Can you do that? Can you get between there?" And I, I said, "You know, I turned around. I said, are you are you daring me? You know." <laughs> and, and his cousin who was on board says, "I'm daring you." So, anyways, we go in the middle, you know, and. Uh, 
Yeah, so we could see we saw the bomb and everything, and then we go on top of the aircraft carrier there, which is the Saratoga, and uh, we go back uh, underneath the island, which is where the bridge is and everything, and there's the elevator for the planes, and he says, "Can the sub fit down the elevator?" And I, I said, <laughs> I, I, "Probably not." You know, <laughs> he's like, "Well, can you try?" And I. No, because, you know, this is like the last thing you want to do, even though you're in shallow, fairly shallow water, I don't want to be the guy who gets stuck in a sub, you know, down underneath on this, on the Saratoga. And I said, all right, well, we'll, we'll check. We'll just see. Because I, I had a cam, I could see out the front viewport. I had a camera on the back of the sub so I could see how close I was. And so I kind of turned the sub, cocked it a little bit. And went down a little bit into the elevator, just not all the way down, but just so that the widest part of the sub was, you know, fit. And I said, yes, well, there you go, Michelle. We do fit. You know? And uh, <laughs> can you go deeper? And I said, no, oh, that's it. We're done. We're, we're not going any deeper. And he, he kind of said, huh, the pilot's a chicken. You know, <laughs> he told you you're <laughs> yeah. a chicken. Like, yeah, that's fine. I'm a chicken. You know, then that was it. So, yeah, he, he was. He had a kind of wicked sense of humor he like sound, that. He yeah. sounds like a fun guy. Yeah. Would he right. sign? Does he sign your paychecks? Or would he? No, no. He okay. had. To, yeah, he had a lot of people. So, uh, and I, I don't. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I don't know who I work for. <laughs> I mean, he owns this company called Vulcan, yeah. and there's, you know, companies in other countries that own the yachts, and you know, so it's. I imagine it's tax purposes and stuff like that, but. Uh, so I worked for one of those companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I was able to work for them and I drove that sub, uh, for many years. And, uh, from 2007, when we put it on there to about 2016, uh, I was based on board the yacht. Uh, so I'd spend a good portion of the year out there. Uh, towards the end there though, I only would go out when I was needed, you know, I'd, because I, w- I was spending six to seven months, eight months, up to eight months, a year away from home. You do a full year? Would you come back for a weekend? Uh, no, or- I I'd only do like a two-month rotation or something like that. Mm-hmm. But quite often I'd get home from a two-month rotation on the yacht. And you know we have a fairly small team that is required to operate the sub and the equipment on board. And you know Paul would want to, do a dive trip somewhere. And so I'd get home, I'd be home for a week. I'd have to turn around and go back out to the yacht, you know, and I'd be stuck out there for, you know, for the duration of this trip. And, and so I, that got kind of tiring. So I, I basically was like on an on call basis so that when I was needed, I'd go out, which was still, you know, half of the, half of the year. Would your wife come out with you? No, no, she, she was never allowed on the, on the yacht <laughs> wasn't allowed no and it's funny when we lived in Cayman the yacht actually showed up there and I was on board and she could see me from her office you know and uh why uh for security it's privacy or, privacy you know and I think you huh. know I think the company had it kind of backwards honestly you know my wife didn't really want to see like the Paul Allen side of things she wanted to see you my time, my side of things, yeah, you know, yeah. where, where I ate, where I slept, yeah. you know, and, and where I worked. Um, but 
you know, there was just a blanket policy from the company. That, Would you get to eat the same dinners that... No. <laughs> <laughs> What's the... Okay. We ate pretty well. But you ate good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Food, yeah. Food off offshore is generally... Food is very important. It's a morale thing, right? Uh, I, I can uh, not agree more. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, offshore oil and gas, uh, most part, uh, you know, the research boat I'm, I'm kind of on, which we'll get to in a bit. But, yeah, and, and the yacht, you know, the same cooks. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, food yeah. is pretty good. I'm a... Uh, um... Yeah, for people who don't know, I'm a commercial fisherman. It's my main job. I run a boat in Alaska every year for two months. And uh, food is what you end up talking about the yeah. longer you stay out. Oh, yeah. You're just dreaming of coming back home and eating steaks. And What are you going to have when you get back on shore? Yeah, yeah. what's yeah. the first place you're going? Oh, man, you know, and the thing was, when we did a trip... Um, I guess it must be 2000, I don't know, 18, 19. All, they they all know, blend together. Everything all the blends together, yeah. If, yeah, I, yeah. if I don't have, you know, I have no reference of time because I, you know. Or my, days. Yeah. Or days. Or, you, you know, I bet you get to the point where um, you don't know if it's Thursday or Tuesday. No. I only it know doesn't matter. I know it's the weekend because my wife's home. Yeah. You know, and. What month is it? I don't know. It's cold outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're not used to seasons anyway. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I've got no reference of time whatsoever. So, but a few years ago, man, I I was just, uh, I wanted avocados, you know, in <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like thinking, man, when I get back, it, we were, we were doing a project off Midway Atoll in the uh, Pacific mm-hmm. and uh, man, I just couldn't get. I couldn't get avocados out of my head. And, <laughs> and since then, I mean, it's been years now. Every morning, my wife and I have avocado toast. <laughs> I, had, I had an avocado today, this morning, with yeah. my uh, breakfast. Oh, yeah. I sort of like, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and, and, you know, they do their best, you know. The chefs, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because yeah, it's so clear how much people appreciate good food yeah so the chef obviously wants yeah to do the best with the the cans of uh, frozen chicken that he has to deal yeah. with. yeah you know and yeah you, know, you you can tell when the fresh food is gone <laughs> oh yeah and the, the cans week, start week, opening and yeah a yeah. week after your yeah week 10 days and yeah it, now it's, it's down to cans and tuna uh, fish um some burrito the, the burritos show up <laughs> Do you ever go uh, to Hamburger Helper, or are you above that? Uh, well, you know, our our, our cooks on board the uh, research boat uh, are mostly Filipino, so a lot of Filipino dishes. Oh. Um, uh, a lot of fried food, you know. But, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's horrible because you go... I go on board the ship and you know, my weight goes up and then I come home and it goes down. Yeah. You know, it's like up and down, up and down, depending on where I am. But, uh, but anyways, uh, I guess 2000, I guess we'll go into the, like the research ship. Yeah, let's I'm do it. Kind of referencing that a bit. So, uh, Paul Allen always had an interest, uh, on the yacht of, he, his father served in World War II, 
and he was interested in World War II, and he always wanted to kind of find something or see something that hasn't been seen before or has not been seen in a long time. And uh, so in 2015, we brought on our first autonomous underwater vehicle or an AUV. Uh, Non-manned submersible. Yeah. Uh, so basically this is a, it, it looks like a torpedo. It uses sonar and you give it a program and you program it to do like a mowing the grass type pattern. Yeah, grid pattern. Yeah, and just going back and forth. And what it does is it goes down to within maybe uh, 100 feet of the bottom or 300 feet of the bottom, depending on if you're doing low resolution or high resolution. And it would just go back and forth, uh, you know, doing like a six-mile line and turn around or turn and go... Uh, Five, 500 meters or so yeah, a quarter mile over yeah and, and then back. come back and, and you want to do a little bit of overlapping with the sonar so you don't miss anything right because they have a spread that yeah you can yeah exactly and, and do, are they changing elevation or are yeah. they, they they are changing elevation as they go yeah they are matching of the, the terrain of the bottom okay, uh, because so they, they have sonar if it's set at 100 feet then it'll go up and down and up and down yeah. and stay 100 feet from yeah, yeah they have a because the bottom uh, ocean's not flat, right? Yeah, uh, man, it's, it would be beautiful if it all was. But uh, I bet there's some spots. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is. You know that, and it makes a big difference when you're searching for shipwrecks. Um, but we bought our first AUV, yeah, uh, 2015. It's and pretty much like a much like a Roomba. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a Roomba that finds shipwrecks. Yeah. Uh, and they're used for all all sorts of purposes, but ours, you know, we wanted to find a shipwreck. And the one that Paul Allen wanted to find was the Musashi. Uh, which oh, he had a, a specific uh, boat that he wanted to find? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he wanted to find the Musashi, which was, uh, there was the Yamato, the Musashi, and the Shinano. Are those all Japanese? All, all Japanese. Yeah. Um, uh, Shinano has not been found. Uh, Yamato has been found. And we found the Musashi in 2015. And they are the largest battleships ever built and have the largest guns on them ever put on a ship. To this are, day? Eight, yeah, 18-inch guns. Um, what does that mean? The the diameter? The, uh, the diameter of the barrel. It's 18? That sounds 18 like a inches. cannon, but it's shooting bullets? Yeah, missile. Yeah, missile. or missile or projectile. And, uh, and how, how long is the ship? It was 800, I want to say about 800 feet. And that's the longest? Or when you say biggest? Biggest, the, the, well, you know. gross tons? Ships are a funny thing, you know, like. Uh, and based go, on weight, I think. Kind of going back to an earlier or question you had, like about, yeah, displacement, right? Yeah. Uh, people who, they call them yacht spotters, right? Yeah. The length of the yacht is everything to them, you know. But when you, yachts, people, yacht spotters are the only people who, measure a ship by length you know everyone else is displacement yeah how much water does this ship displace um the octopus yacht uh when it was launched in 2003 was number one as far as the longest ship uh and it was you know 414 feet 
Uh, now I, I don't even think it's in the top 15 as far as the length. I think there's a Zam, I think is the largest one now. It's 600 feet or something like that. Who's the owner of Zam? Uh, Middle East. It's in the Middle East somewhere. Hmm. And, uh, some, uh, some prints. Yeah. But I think as far as displacement goes, octopus is still like in the top 10. You know, because it's well, it's it's uh, the heavy duty for yeah, uh, it's exploration. It's got the isolated yeah, hole. It's going to be heavier. It's quite wide. Yeah. You know, so, uh, but yeah, it, length is only important to yacht spotters, but displacements, sure. everything. It, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think Musashi was yeah about eight hundred feet long, and uh, it was sunk in the Battle of Leyte Gulf uh, by the American and uh, I think British forces. And uh, we had tried several times over the years, different methods. But with this AUV, we went back there uh, and we found it. Were, um, um, were AUVs commonplace no. back then? Was this kind of one of the first AUVs or were they just come on the market? Uh, the technology had been around for a little bit. Uh, the Navy was using it. Uh, Oil and gas was using it for surveying for pipelines and stuff like that. Uh, but as far as being in private hands, uh, yeah, not... not Because uh, of the cost, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, no. Do you know how much it's worth? That one, no, I don't know how much that one was worth. Um, that was our first one. It was a Bluefin. It was the name of the company. Uh, and this... Uh, the one that we had was a bluefin 12. So it was a 12 inch diameter. It was about 12 feet long and, uh, hmm. could go down 1500 meters. Wow. So, you know, for nearly 5,000 feet. Yeah. Um, just, just for curiosity, how deep is the Mariana trench? 10,000 meters, 30,000. Yeah. It's a little, so, it's a little bit deeper than Everest. Yeah. Which is 29,000 yeah. feet. And that depth keeps changing as, as our... As we stretch ab- apart? Well, as our ability for measuring gets more accurate. You know, oh, but, uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's 10 or maybe 11,000 meters. I'm not sure. Have we sent any an AUV down there? Uh, all the way? AUVs, yes. Uh, three different subs. Uh, man subs. Humans the, have been down there. Yeah. Uh, the Trieste uh, went down there. Back in the, I want to say 60s wow, or early 70s, uh, James Cameron mm. uh, went down. Uh, he's a director? Yeah. Um, he's got a massive interest in uh, oceans, engineering, that type of stuff. Did he do he Avatar? Is that yeah. The, okay. Avatar, yeah. uh, the Terminator movies. Okay. Uh, cool. Uh, what was the uh, underwater one he did? Waterworld? No, no. Well, maybe he did. But uh, no, back when I was a kid. Uh, uh, I can't remember it. Um, and uh, and then most recently, uh, Victor Vescova. Um, he's a venture capitalist guy. He had a company uh, run by a couple friends of mine that built a sub. And he's been making multiple trips down there in different trenches uh, around the world. Do you want to go down there? No. Why is that? I have nothing to see. And it's dark. Being, <laughs> being cramped in a sub for <laughs> you know, a few hours just to get down there. No. 
Really? Uh, yeah. I'm. Yeah. You not, wouldn't. What if you had the chance? Yeah. No, I'm not interested. <laughs> it's horrible. I'm a bit jaded when it comes to. I'd summer. go down there if you could. Um, if if you could get, uh, you know, if you knew a guy that was going down, that has an extra seat, I'd go down there. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, just putting that out. I'll put there. a word in for just you. Put a word in. I'd love to go down. <laughs> yeah, there. I know a guy who yeah. would. Uh, yeah. And I'm not claustrophobic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you you'd be stuck in that thing for hours, quite a while. How long? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's probably like an eight-hour trip, round trip. That's no, not bad. Yeah. And you know, you it's like flying to Europe. You can't get out of a plane. Well, you can get up and walk around, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's that's the difference. Yeah. Okay. Well, is it uncomfortable? Is the seat they give you uncomfortable? Or no, I think they're fairly comfortable. Uh, it's just you know, it's a feather in your cap. I mean, I, very few people have been to the bottom of the ocean. You know, so I've never been in a sub. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, now I see one. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> It's too much. <laughs> how many trips have you done? You said that the number one guy in the world was over 4,000. Yeah. How, how many have you done? Uh, I, I've probably done about all my sub dives, probably slightly less than 2,000. So where would you rank yourself in the world sub captain oh, like, log? Uh, you know, as far as mo- amount of dives? Yeah. Um, Probably top 10, maybe, <laughs> but, you know, but a lot of my dives were in the same place, you know, and then you sure. have a lot of guys who had lots of dives in multiple places and sure. Uh, so I, th- I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of variables to that, but, uh, yeah, that's a lot. It is a lot. And, you know, you, yeah, it's, it, it, it was a great career and, you know, it's not something that, you know. People say, "Oh, how do I how do I get a job like that?" Well, you fail at everything else, you know, and uh, go on from there. It's who you know. Is that how you got it? You know, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's how I ended up. It's who I know. I got the job in Cayman. Yeah. And then because of my experience of being able to drive the subs and also maintain them and keep them in class, I got the job on the yacht, um, and then. So I, I guess, you know, yeah. So let's bounce back to the research boat. So yeah. Finding you know, find World War II yeah, ships. So, so Paul Allen wanted, you know, he was very interested in uh, finding, you know, honoring his father's service and, uh, and wanting to see ships that had not been seen before. So he bought this AUV. We found the Musashi mm-hmm. uh, in the Savoyan Sea in the Philippines. Uh, we also mapped a good portion of Iron Bottom Sound, which is in the Solomon Islands. Okay. Um, at the beginnings of World War II, uh, it's called Iron Bottom Sound because more tonnage of ships and men were lost uh. in a six-month period than any other time in the war. And to this day, the Navy will go by there and honor these, you know, the, sh- the men that were on these ships. Um, they'll cruise over it and have a moment of silence. Wow. And, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of ships in Iron Bottom Sound, and it's off Guadalcanal, uh, which is the capital. Uh, Haniara is the capital of uh, Solomon Islands, and uh, many battles took there over. Yeah, I think a, a nine-month period 
and that's kind of when the war was turning. If you imagine, you know, we're, you know, you're fighting the Japanese, and the Japanese greatly expanded their area, you know, and they were as far as they could go into the Pacific, and the kind of the end was the Solomon Islands, and we were battling them over a nine-month period or so, and then from there we just kept forcing them back towards Japan, island hopping closer and closer towards Japan because it's you know it's one island after another going to the southeast mm-hmm. uh, from Japan. And you know you have Australia, Australia, which is further south, uh, and that was that was also a danger, right? Because if the Japanese had taken over the Solomon Islands and had a good foothold there, well, then it was just a matter, a simple matter for them to move south into Australia. And so we were very, Americans were very involved with, at that point, about pushing them back towards Japan. It was very critical. Um, so uh, so we found the ship in the Philippines, the Musashi, uh, and that kind of seemed to wet Paul Allen's appetite. And he yeah. wanted to go bigger, better, deeper. Um, and so at the end of 2016... Or sorry, when you when you found the ship with you found it with the AUV, right? Yeah. So and then then once you found it, then did you take Paul down in the the man submersible? No, it was too deep for that. Oh, what? Well, how deep was it? Uh, twelve hundred meters. Um, I think it was the deepest spot. Uh, so you just had like photos. So we found it with the autonomous underwater vehicle or AUV. And then we mm-hmm. went and surveyed it with a remotely operated vehicle or ROV, which is basically a, um, it's a Roomba with an extension cord. It's a Roomba with an extension cord and a camera, high yeah. definition camera mm-hmm. and multiple cameras. And so we surveyed it with that and we did a, uh, a live broadcast, um, on YouTube. It, it, sorry. For- we did a live broadcast. You can see it on YouTube if you uh, type in maybe Musashi Live, and you can wow see that. Like the first, it was, it, but it was live at the time when you're doing. Yeah, it. we you did were it streaming live. it. Yeah, and um, it was the first ever images of this. Yeah, shipwreck. back to the yeah. Wow, and yeah, it was pretty good. How and, many, how uh, many views does that video have? Oh, I've got no idea. I haven't okay. seen it in years. <laughs> um, so then. Yeah, that just seemed to really kind of wet Paul's appetite. And he wanted yeah. to go deeper, bigger, better. He, yeah, and so got... we ordered some new equipment. We ordered an, a new AUV um, that could go down 6,000 meters or 20,000 feet. And a new re-op, uh, remotely operated vehicle, which could go down 20,000 feet. You know, again, with a, the ROV is connected to the ship through the umbilical and um, this equipment, we were going to integrate it onto the yacht. Uh, but instead towards the end of 2016, you know, 2000, 2000, end of 2015, 2016, the oil, oil prices took a dive. Um, these uh, OSVs or offshore support vessels, um, which, support the oil field uh their oil field was shutting down so a lot of these vessels were just tied up at the docks and 
uh, they were being sold. And we ended up buying one. Uh, mm. Or I said we, I mean, Mr. Allen. Well, you, you know. And so we ended up integrating our 6,000 meter AUV and ROV onto the RV Petrol. We ended up buying this research vessel, um, Petrol. And that was the end of 2016. Uh, and we bought it in Scotland and got it up and running, spent the Christmas and New Year's in Norway at a shipyard there, uh, getting some more equipment put on. And then uh, beginning of the year, kind of springtime, we uh, sailed out of Norway down into the Mediterranean, did a little bit of training with our all this new equipment and uh, making sure that everything was working right. And there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of technology in this equipment. And we ended up finding our first shipwreck uh, was an Italian ship called the Articulieri. And I don't remember if it was a battleship or, it was, you know, sunk during World War II. You were just practicing. We were practicing, yeah. Uh, were you looking for anything or just practicing and happened to find a... Uh, we had some basic position for it. You know, oh, I was so, thinking, okay, okay, well, let's, you know, and yeah, we ended Might up as well look it. here. There might be one. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it was right where, cool. you know, it was supposed to be and not in great condition or anything, but that ended up being the first one we found. Um, and then we... From there, uh, from the Mediterranean, uh, we went uh, through the Suez Canal, uh, down into the Indian Ocean, and then into the Pacific. Uh, my boss, Rob Kraft, um, he, you know, the holy grail of shipwrecks at the time was the USS Indianapolis. Um, and why, what makes that the Holy Grail? You know, it was a U.S. ship. It was the worst uh, naval loss, U.S. naval loss uh, in history. Uh, more men were lost on that uh, than any other ship. Uh, in popular culture or pop culture, it's kind of famous uh, in the movie Jaws. Uh, the captain of the boat talks about going down on a ship and the sharks attacking the men and uh, that the ship he's talking about is the Indianapolis. And so it, it it's famous for those reasons. Um, and, you know, people have been searching for it or speculating where it's been for years, for many, many years. And so it was kind of one thing, you know, like if hey, if you're going to pick one ship to find, which what would it be? Well, it's going to be the Indianapolis, and the timing was right. You know, we were going getting into summer, which is the best time to be in the Pacific, and uh, we we went, you know. So Paul said, "Yeah, let, let's find it." And so uh, prior to that, like a couple years prior to that, uh, you know, two thousand. You know, we started this in 2015, you know, and we bought the ship in 2016. This is 2017. But prior to that, my boss and I were at a show in uh, New Orleans for uh, our type of equipment, oil and gas support type stuff. And he mentioned that he wanted to bring the research uh, in-house. And I said, well, hey, I, you know, I'm interested. And uh, 
you know, what's my first project? And, uh, he said, well, the Indianapolis and he gave me a budget. And, uh, so I went up to the national archives, uh, in, in college park, Maryland. I got all the logbooks from all the ships that were involved with the rescue of the men from the Indianapolis after they were in the water for four days, drifting around, um, you know, and they were, they were found, uh, were spotted by uh, a man in a plane, basically out doing a, a reconnaissance flight, and then all these planes, these ships went out and they picked up the men. So I got all the logbooks from those ships, and I did all the reverse navigation where they picked up the men. So I had all these spots plotted on in Google Earth. You know, right. we use Google Earth quite a bit, and so we thought, okay, well, this is four days later. You know, what are the currents doing? We have sorts of current data. And so he said, all right, well, this is where we're going to start our search, you know. And um, so we went there. Uh, and I, honestly, I can't remember when, when we started our search. But uh, were you the guy, the first people to look for that? No. Uh, Bob Ballard looked for it. Um, did, did Bob Ballard start in the same spot you were well, starting? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not sure about Oh. Uh, I don't think it was, maybe it wasn't Bob Ballard. I think Bob Ballard was planning on going there. Uh, another company uh, that w- National Geographic was involved. Uh, no, uh, the, um, so the captain of the Indianapolis, when he was pulled, he survived. And when he was pulled out of the water, um, he said, oh, he said, we, we sank here on a map on the ship that he was rescued, you know, and, and I'm not sure where he came up with that, you know, um, it's odd because, you know, the captain is, the captain knows where they're at. He runs the ship. Well, you know, if you want to, if you want to know where you are, you don't ask the captain, you ask the navigator, you know, and of course then, then they had a navigator, you know, and the navigator, I don't recall if he survived or not, but, um, so his testimony never, uh, came into it, but, uh, so he picked out a spot on a map and said, this is where we sank. And so previous expeditions searched that spot, thinking that that was credible information from the captain. And then if you did spy, speed, time, and distance uh, for navigation, that's it's not in the right spot. You know, it's too far east. From where everyone was picked up. The yeah. survivors were picked up. Well, you know, the, the current took them to the west mm-hmm. for four days, but it, it also spread them out quite a bit. You know, so there was a lot of different information. But he also said we were right where we should have been. And right where we should have been was actually a different spot than where he picked out on a map. So yeah. there was a bit of conflicting information there. Uh, but we thought we were going to try further West kind of with, and and there was also some new information that came to light. Um, the Indianapolis crossed paths with a, a troop carrier, uh, the day before. Mm. And, uh, it's odd though, because it's only verbal history. It's not in any logbook that they passed the Indianapolis, which is unusual. Because I go through a lot of these logbooks, and quite often they say, hey, we spotted a plane. It was a friendly. Spotted the USS 
something or other, you know, and and to for there to be no mention of this ship crossing paths with the Indianapolis was unusual. But there's verbal testimony that from somebody that was on it. And uh, a researcher from the Naval History and Heritage, Heritage Command, uh, he found that information. So we work with them. Okay. And uh, so we were going to go kind of fr- on the basis that they were maybe where they should have been, not where they, the captain, yeah. not where the captains pointed out on the map. And so we started our search, uh, and you basically, you do an expanding circle, you know, and you start in one grid, you put the AUV in it's deep water. We're talking, you know, five and a half thousand meters, uh, you know, so 17 and a half thousand feet, something like that, three and a half miles. And, you know, you put it down in the first grid, and the AUV goes down. It does its search pattern, comes back up to the surface. Uh, we recover it, pull it back on board the ship, uh, download the data, change out the batteries. How much air square miles does it do on uh, uh, one battery? Depending on the condition of the batteries, you know, 6 to 10 miles. And, you know, here's, you know... If it's flat terrain, you, you're covering a lot more. Yeah. Uh, keeping in mind that the AUV goes down to the bottom, and it's about 300 feet off of the bottom. Well, if you're sending out sonar to the sides of the AUV, and there's a hill that's say, say that's uh, 150 feet tall, and it's about you know 300 feet away from it. Well. The sonar is not going to go behind that yeah. hill. It, it causes a shadow. And then is the AUV uh, pl- uh, programmed to not allow shadows? So the next pass, it's going to be really close. You hope that it that your multiple passes, you know, you catch they, all the shadows, everything. But quite often they don't, you know, and quite often, depending on the terrain you're in, these shadows or we call them holidays are big enough to hide a ship. You right. Know? Exactly. And uh, then you're just. And, 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 you know, this is one of those things that we, it was such an education. Every ship we found, you know, was like a new education. And uh, we would learn so much from every different project. And, you know, we changed the way we were looking for things. And when you're looking through the data, you're not looking for a ship. You, you know, you don't look for something that looks like a ship because you don't see that. What you see is debris, a trail of debris. And uh, when the sonar underwater, when it hits metal, it comes back as a brighter return than if it hits like just sand. Mm-hmm. And and some of it could be quite small. But so you basically, then you put the remotely operated vehicle in to go down and take a look at it, look at it and see what this debris is. Sometimes it can be junk. And, but uh, hopefully you can identify it as maybe a naval ship or the ship you're looking for. If you're lucky, you know, the ship you're looking for, it's the only thing that's sunk in that area. Um, but, you know, so you're, you're looking for a debris trail and then you follow that debris trail to the ship. But we had, we'd run into different problems. Uh, we had to take about a, 
six-week break um, to fix some legacy issues on the ship uh, that just... Was was Paul on the ship for this whole? No, he was oh. back in Seattle, yeah. and uh, we would get you know I wouldn't be talking to him. my boss would be talking to him. Yeah, um, updates. Yeah, and then we around August we went back. Um, the ship got back on site, and we started. We started about kind of further west, and then we started making our way east, and then we. We were in nice flat terrain, then we got in this very hilly terrain, and there was all sorts of holidays in the data. And why are they called holidays? Uh, it's just the name we gave them, you know, just, oh. just a you know a okay. lack of information in the data, <laughs> you know. And uh, so we, it was like midnight. I was I finished my shift at midnight because we work twenty four hours a day. Um, we have two shifts. We got ten people that come on board. We split into two groups, uh, uh, noon to midnight and midnight to noon. And uh, I finished my shift at midnight. My boss, Rob Kraft, he was up. Um, uh, another guy, Rick, w- was there. And we were sitting in Rob's office. And uh, we were having a bottle of wine and talking about all the data and, and the information. Because when you're not finding stuff, you know, there's a lot of stuff doubt that starts coming in and you know why haven't we found it yet and and we you start going over the data again and again and again and uh and then for rob just something clicked in his head and uh we he started going down this path and they said all right well when the aev comes up from this mission we're going to go back over to the the west and we're going to start away going down the because you know this and that and and anyways uh the next day we went recovered the AV there was nothing in that grid so we went back west put it back in and uh, did that first mission nothing put it back in did the next mission and came up with debris and uh and I I got up at uh noon and and the, they had the ROV in the water already and they were diving on the bow. So they had found the bow of the ship. Mm. And in the end, what, what had happened is uh, the Indianapolis was torpedoed by a Japanese submarine and uh, the bow came off, but the ship itself travels for about another mile. Um, wow. And before it sank. And we had found the bow and we thought maybe we could just continue with the ROV's sonar, which only looks out about 100 meters or 300 feet. You know, and we weren't finding anything, so we brought it back up, put the AEV back in, and then we found the rest of the ship. And that was August 19th in 2017. So we had found the Indianapolis. So that was... Then did Paul fly out? And, no. Uh, we we oh. screamed everything to him via, okay. you know, which is, um, you know, kind of amazing technology that you can have a remotely operated vehicle oh, yeah. three and a half miles underwater on, uh, underwater streaming from satellite to the office in in Seattle. And uh, we did a live broadcast on PBS from the Indianapolis. And there was a 40 second delay. There was uh they were, they had a, the studio yeah. in New York and so from the ROV 
it would take 40 seconds for the signal, you know, it took milliseconds for it to, the signal to get from the ROV to the ship. From the ship, we would encode the video, go up to satellite, and go then... Go to space. It, yeah, so it, would t- <laughs> it was a different... Uh, the, the video codec was kind of proprietary to Vulcan, Paul's company. So it would go down via satellite, down to Seattle. They would decode the video... Go back up to a satellite, <laughs> over to New York, and uh, and then they were they had a live studio where they had the presenter and they had a survivor and and they were seamlessly putting this show together with this forty second delay and uh, I just thought that was incredible. That's you know? crazy. Uh, but and and that's still you know. There was two. Uh, So we did the live broadcast, and then there was a long-form documentary. I think that's maybe an hour and a half or two hours. Uh, Are you in the documentary? Yeah, I was was in both of them. uh, Have you watched them? I I have watched them, yeah. What's it like to to see yourself? Oh, it's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) What's your title? Are you you a talking head? Are you kind of like, you know, in the studio with the camera on Mm. your face and... and, uh, no, I was on the ship. And, oh, it's actual. Yeah. Okay. No, I was on the ship and I was the co-piloting at the time. Yeah. You know, so they, so. they, you're in there working. Yeah. And they were just, you know, my boss, Rob, was kind of uh, the main guy on the ship uh, talking about the different things. And we had a couple, we were moving around the ship, uh, the, the Indianapolis, and in and, and kind of dead spots we had... Um, little video clips that they would show while we were relocating. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it was just amazing that, you know, you're here and they're there and they're 40 seconds behind you yet. There's a producer in the studio who's putting everything together seamlessly and it's live and it's like, it never missed a beat. It was, yeah. In the documentary, do you have any, uh, do you talk in it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you say any, anything, any jokes? Do you say anything funny in there? No, <laughs> no. Uh, but you know, so amazing thing about it was, uh, so we found the Indianapolis and, right. uh, it made the news. It was, it was huge. Yeah. Uh, and, but I didn't know that I was on the ship. You know, you're pretty well isolated out there, but it turns out here in Chattanooga, we had a man that was served on the Indianapolis, uh, Mr. Irwin, K.O. Irwin. Uh, Lewis K. Irwin, and uh, unfortunately he passed away a, f- uh, a few years ago now, uh, but he was alive when we found it. And they did a, when we had found the ship, it made it, you know, it was quite big, and they did an interview with him um, about it. And uh, my wife uh, told me this, and so I said, well, get a hold of him. And uh, so she got a hold of him, and I, I, we were back in the Guam and we were picking up uh, the TV crew for doing this documentary. And uh, so I was speaking to his son, Ko, and uh, getting information from him. And he was telling me, you know, where his dad was sleeping on the ship when, uh, when it was sunk. Oh, wow. Because Indianapolis or was, it was an older ship. Um, didn't have air conditioning and they're in the South Pacific. So it's very hot. So all the men were sleeping on deck. Yeah. It was sunk just after midnight. Oh, and, wow. uh, so, 
he sent me photos of the ship of, and little arrows of where his dad was sleeping. So I had the ROV go over there and video that spot where he was sleeping just to see if there was any remnants of his hammock left or uh, because all that stuff survives very well, you know, down that depth because the water is very cold and very oxygen poor. Uh, so the, the manila lines and stuff like that they were using are still intact. And uh, so I was able to get all that video and I kept it. And then when I got home, uh, you know, I, I went and met this man, Mr. Irwin, and showed him the video of um, of where he was sleeping. And the, the, uh, he had a, he was the gunner. He was one of the gun crew. Uh, Indianapolis had uh, a lot of five-inch guns, I think eight. Uh, five-inch guns, uh, four on each side, and he was the gun crew for the the last gun on the starboard side. So, uh, I, I mentioned that in the uh, live broadcast, and uh, uh, but I also brought that video home and was mm-hmm. able to show it to him, and and that was really special. Um, yeah, what was that like when you showed him the video? Uh, I mean that that was. For me, that was, you know, meeting. I've met a couple of these the survivors from Indianapolis, and uh, yeah, I mean these these guys were incredible. Um, you, you think about what these guys were doing, uh, yeah. And and since then, Indianapolis was our our second, uh, and that was in 2017. You know, here we are in 2020. This previous summer, we've put petrol to bed in Scotland because of COVID. But between then and now, we've found over 35 shipwrecks, uh, naval vessels, uh, Japanese and American. And I've gotten a lot of stories on our Facebook page from uh, from the, the children of these these men. And they, they would talk, you know, they, they would pass on a story on our Facebook page about their father who was on the ship that we just found and. Uh, and that's that's just incredible. Do you respond at all? Oh to, yeah, uh, yeah, Interact with these. Oh yeah. Do you run the Facebook page? I did, and uh, since we've put uh, since we've laid up petrol, not anymore. Mm. I've turned uh, control of that back to uh, Vulcan. But uh, I started it after we found the Indianapolis, uh, and we started doing some work in the Philippines, and uh, and I think you know last time I looked at it, which is a while ago, we had like you know forty something thousand followers uh, on Facebook which you know is not it's not a lot of followers but our our followers were very involved engaged, you know like the, yeah. the engagement was the high. engagement was yeah. super high yeah which like off the charts you know which was like unusual yeah you know so uh, but you know when we we had found uh, the Lex you know aircraft carrier the Lexington and uh, somebody uh, sent me a photo of this bit of shrapnel that was uh, their father was on the deck of this of uh, of the deck of the Lexington uh, when it was hit by a plane. Oops, sorry, nope, not the Lexington. I found a lot, so I get confused sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a different uh, aircraft carrier, but it was hit by a kamikaze. And part of the plane embedded itself into this, uh, into the sailor, and they couldn't take it out. And so he carried that around with him for 75 years. 
And uh, when he passed away, you know, his instructions to his son is like, when I'm cremated, make sure you get this bit of shrapnel. Yeah. And, you know, and they sent me photos of this shrapnel and they turned it into a piece of jewelry and they told me the story, you know, and, uh, you know, one story about the Lexington, which is one we found, um, you know, and I've been able to verify this uh, through a couple different sources was, you know, the ship was sinking, you know, and you think that's a moment of panic. But there was a whole group of sailors that thought, hey, uh, the ship is sinking. Uh, let's go to the, the freezer and get the ice cream. So <laughs> <laughs> as men are getting off of the ship, they are There's other... running past a, a, like a whole group of sailors who are sitting there. Raiding the fridge. Uh, sitting on deck eating ice cream. Well, okay, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with when you're in a boat, how important food is, and you just dream of, and it's like, this ice cream is going to, okay, yeah. we're sinking both ways, Yeah. right? Yeah. So we might as well have some ice cream let's while not we let, sink. Let's not let this ice cream go to waste. Absolutely. I, you know, that, that was one of the stories, and like another one of multiple stories was um, that, as men were jumping off the ship into the water as the Lexington was sinking, they were taking off their, their shoes. And there's like lots of multiple accounts of like, you know, from the, the men who were jumping off. Oh, I, I went to the side of the ship and there was just a line of shoes. shoes. And so I took off my shoes and jumped into the water and, uh, you know, it's, but yeah, so that involvement with survivors and their families and, I mean that's that's phenomenal to be able to do that, um, and we yeah we found many ships, uh, and yeah a lot of these ships have organizations, and uh, so we contact them. We would always give them prior not- notice uh, before we made it public that we found their ship, just so you know they could spread the word and let them know that it was going to go public and yeah, uh, and then quite often I would. I would get uh, requests. Hey, my father was on this particular gun on this particular ship. You know, do you have any video of that? And and I would send them screen grabs from video, and uh, so anything we could do. That's like um, good closure, maybe for some yeah. people. Yeah, it's it's being able to put a point on a map. You know the. We found that especially true with the Indianapolis. Uh, there's, it's a very well organized group of people. Um, you had the survivors. They're they're all one organization, but the, within that organization, um, you've got the survivors, you've, and you've got the lost at sea, the men, lost at sea families, uh, the men who 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 died either on the ship or in the water mm-hmm. as they were drifting for four days. And uh, they're very well organized. Uh, I did a presentation to them a few years ago on how we found the ship. And every one of them, I think, I mean, it was over 300 people there. Uh, after my presentation, they would come to me and they would say, my name is so-and-so. Uh, my father was either a survivor or a lost at sea. And I was at work when I found out when you guys found the Indianapolis. So they, they would tell me those three things and very emotional for them. 
very emotional for me too, you know, uh, that all these people coming up to and how much it meant to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. And, and I think, you know, at the beginning, Paul Allen wanted to find something that hadn't been seen before, like these military ships and honor his father and, and then after the Indianapolis and this feedback he was getting from these families, and then we were finding other ships, it it became more about uh, providing closure for a lot of these families. And uh, and you know, one of the last times I saw him, uh, he he said, "Look, you, you guys, you should know how important this work is you're doing, how important it is to these people." And so no i'm aware i'm i'm you know on the facebook page i'm <laughs> i'm answering these emails you know and yeah it was it's, it was a great thing to be a part of and and hopefully you know we'll pick it back up again once this covid gets sorted out but uh we'll see how did paul pass away so paul had non-hodgkin's uh, lymphoma he had it three times. Uh, first time he had it, uh, back in the eighties, he retired from Vulcan and then he had it again and then, uh, recovered from that. And then this, he, and from this last bout, he, he passed away from that. Uh, so. When you say he, um, uh, retired from Vulcan. Is that oh, what, sorry. Microsoft? He retired from Microsoft. Yeah, that's yeah. when he s- split yeah. up or yeah. s- sold his shares. And I or... think that was 1982. Okay. Uh, so he had a lot of shares. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was doing okay. I think at the time it was $15 billion or something like that. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. Was it um, intimidating having someone... On, in your submarine where you're the the boss but he has uh he was famous has all the money is that intimidating at all to you to be in that guy's presence or just a regular dude uh no you know like i knew what i had to do yeah i i, I always kind of went into it with knowing that i was the most qualified person to be in the spot I was in of all the people in the sub. So it was, <laughs> uh, so, so that was a bit of confidence there. Um, but it was always, you know, the, my worry was hoping I had all the answers for the questions he might be an- asking about the sub, about what we might be seeing. And, uh, and, he he enjoyed himself in the sub. He he relaxed quite a bit, and and it, it's something he liked to take guests on and uh, that were on the yacht. And uh, what kind of guests? Like uh, celebrities? Yeah. Or? yeah. But I I have an N- NDA with Wilkins. So <laughs> you about can't <laughs> you can't tell me that uh, I can't tell you. You can't tell me Kanye West has been on there or other people. Yeah, other people. Okay. <laughs> you know we. We do lots of parties for New Year's and like the Cannes Film Festival, and yeah, so we had lots of uh, we'd have lots of guests on then, and mm-hmm. but can't talk about that. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, are you working on any other documentaries or anything in the coming up in the future? Or? Uh, so we did 
we've we've had cameramen on quite often. Uh, we did uh, Midway. Um, so the Battle of Mid- Battle of Midway, uh, which is an atoll in the northwest mm-hmm. uh, Hawaiian island chain, and uh, we had cameramen on for them. But I don't think anyone's picked up that footage to do a documentary. Uh, right before we went into dry dock this last summer, and the decision was made to um, lay up the ship until covid passes uh we were doing some work in the atlantic and doing some filming for a documentary so that'll be coming up at some point okay which is about all i can say about that too ndas yeah um what's it like to go through the suez canal and the panama canal uh the ship has been through the Suez Canal several times, but I've never been on it uh, for that. Uh, I've been through the Panama Canal three or four times, uh, but always at night uh, because it's cheaper to go through the canal at night. All the cruise ships want to go during the day yeah. for the... And the sightseeing boats. Yeah. And, uh, and when I was going through... So there's, they've got the new canal open as now as well um there's a second one yeah uh which is larger uh yeah wider so, so. You, you know you had a, a there's a type of container ship called a panamax right uh which and it's not length for the most part it's width with yeah uh, that's what i think and uh so the new the new locks i think are much larger so they can take much larger ships but um you know we when we turned the Panama Canal back over to the Panamanians, uh, they started managing it. And I think, I think there's like five spots for ships, you know, on, on an hourly basis or, you know, like every couple of hours. And uh, they actually turned like that fifth spot into like an eBay type uh auction situation oh really yeah yeah you could like cut in line if you want yeah so if you pay enough you can cut in line Uh, interesting but yeah so but we would always go through at night because it's cheaper yeah and uh so we would we would start off in one of the two sides either the uh, pacific or the caribbean and uh you go it takes about eight hours to go through and you go through you know with uh, five or six other ships and you have a uh, pilot on board oh uh, from from panama yeah. that he hops on and yeah okay and i you know it's a bit of trivia here and uh and I, I can never remember the second place but so if you're the captain of a ship and you go into an anchorage just yeah. by any anchorage in the world you take on a, a pilot okay and the pilot comes on the pilot doesn't actually take the control of the vessel he just advises the captain yeah the Panama Canal is one of two places where the pilot actually takes charge of the vessel. That's interesting. Does it does insurance on the boats? Um, seems like there's a lot of liability there. I mean, if the, if the guy messes up, he's a pro, so he won't. But if he does, does your boat insurance cover it? Because uh, yeah, it's a different pilot. I, I, I imagine. Yeah, it's got to. Yeah. What's the second place where this? I don't know. I can never remember nah. that. 
I'd have to Google it. It would probably be another canal. I, I think so. Or some kind of canal locks complex yeah. system. Yeah. Or some, I would imagine, a very complicated pilotage, you know, where the, right. there's lots of... Like maybe going above Canada. Yeah. <laughs> What's that yeah. like going above Canada? It's kind of barren, really. Um, lots of sea ice. Um, I remember seeing some polar bears, some narwhals in the distance. Were the polar bears on land? Were you that close yeah. to land? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we went uh, like to the edge of a glacier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just kind of saw them cruising on top of a glacier. Is that so, rare to see them? No, I don't think so. I think they're quite common. Wow. Yeah, it was it was neat. I mean, yeah, for me <laughs> to see a polar bear was neat. You know, that's like, pretty oh, wow. neat. You've yeah, seen polar bears, but you've seen so much, uh, so much of the world. Yeah, I mean, most of the world is ocean, seventy percent or something along those lines. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, seventy percent, three quarters of it, um, yeah, is yeah, ocean, and um, where, you know, I've been able to probably go around it three or four times in the last fifteen years on on this yacht and see amazing things, and also the research vessel, you know, Petrel. Uh, so uh, it's a lot of time in airports and planes, but uh, to I, get to and from the yachts and tell me how many frequent flyer miles do you have? <laughs> do you just fly for free at this point? No, <laughs> no, but uh, you know, I, I get my Christmas gift with my points. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite airport? Uh, Chattanooga. <laughs> of course, because you're coming home. But, uh, coming home, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorites uh, overseas? Where if you're flying in Bangkok, you're like, oh, this is great. I love Bangkok. Or, uh, no, they all kind of blend into each other. Uh, worst one is Charles de Gaulle in France. Because you can smoke in it. No, it's just uh, confusing. That's a weird one. It, it's very weird because there's like, you know, I was there and I I went. I'm leaving through Concourse A, and you know I take the tram to Concourse A, and I get off, and I go through security again, and uh, it's like, oh, you're in the wrong Concourse A. You got to go to the other Concourse A. It's like, really? <laughs> I, I just remember yeah. it's the only airport I've ever been in where you could smoke in, and I don't know if they've changed that in the last uh, few years, but I just remember people smoking in it. Oh, really? I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I don't remember that. It was a uh, few years back. It's a beautiful airport, but yeah, it's the worst one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in after them, pretty good. What's kind of the um, most remote place you think you've been? Um, and it's probably some of the best diving I've ever done, too, uh, was the... Tuamotos uh, are, are a group of atolls, and they're about 200 miles from Tahiti, uh, going to the northeast. And uh, we would do some dives uh, on this one atoll called uh, Fakarava. you got to say that carefully. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, you do this, this phenomenal dive, uh, the Southern pass and you wait till the current's going into the atoll and, 
uh, you hop into the water and you go down to 80, 90 feet and, um, you can see about, you know, 150, 200 sharks sitting there with their noses into the current, waiting to see what's coming into the atoll with the current, you know, to, to feed. And, uh, and the, and it's so remote that the, the coral is in such good condition and, um, yeah, lots of sharks and sharks, you know, they're fantastic. I like to see them, you know, they're, they're, and they're also a great indicator about the health of the reef. Um, they're, they're the top of the food chain. So if, if you have a healthy ecosystem, you know, you think of it as gears, right? The shark is the big gear. Mm-hmm. The the little fish are the tiny gears. So if that shark is the big gear and it's turning the 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 reef fish and the, that little ecosystem and they're the small gears, they have to be turning really fast yeah, to, ton- su- yeah. to support that big gear. And so if you see lots of sharks, you know that there's a really healthy ecosystem there to support them. And to be in a place like that where you've got, you know, all these sharks and uh, the coral was in such great condition and so much marine life and very few people there. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's probably, the, you know, it's quite remote. Um, very few people go there. Midway Atoll in, in the, you know, that's run by the park service. Uh, you know, it was attacked on, on December 7th, uh, just along with Pearl Harbor. Uh, it became a naval base. Uh, now they're turning it back, back, trying to get it to, to its natural condition again. Uh, they've had a lot of invasive species, but the, the migratory birds there and the, um, the seals, the, turtles um that's that's quite remote as well but the amount of plastic that washing on on that beach is crazy you know we we did that project uh i guess it was 2019 in the summer and uh we pulled up onto the beach and as a crew project we went onto the beach and cleaned up. Uh, we have these big bags that we store our garbage in. They're called Texas tea bags. And they're, they hold one cubic meter of garbage basically, or, or anything. And we filled up, I think three or four of them with plastic on the beach. And then we went off and we were searching for these Japanese carriers that sank in the battle of Midway. And uh, we did, we we ended up finding two Akagi and Kaga, and but we went back a, a few weeks later, and it was like we were never there. The amount of plastic that was washed up on one the small exact, section of the beach, the exact spot where you yeah. Have you are you aware of the giant plastic floating island? They say that's that's out there. That's a couple square miles, or I don't know. Well. Does that exist? Yeah, I mean that. This is part of it. I mean it, mm-hmm. uh, and not even the worst part of it. Have you seen it or driven past it? Or 
uh, you know, no, like it's a gyre, right? So you, you have a, the center of a current that's going in a circle and, the, and everything accumulates in the middle of it. Uh, I don't think I've ever been through that, but I, I, going through all sorts of, you know, uh, crossings of the Pacific and the Atlantic, I can't ever remember a time where I've been out on deck and not been able to see plastic. If you if you sit no. out there long enough, you'll see plastic floating in the in the water. Uh or when we're uh when we've had the remotely operated vehicle on the bottom in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. And you're cruising along and you'll see garbage. Uh it's that's yeah. insane. It's insane. And yeah. that's new. That's not... Um, it's plastic, yeah. So it's since the 50s. Exactly. Yeah. That's it's a new phenomena. That's crazy. And something I've... Are you... Are you uh, do you have a passion towards uh, environmental issues? Oh, I do, but I don't know why. I, I'm kind of jaded when it comes to this, and I don't. I feel we've gone beyond the point of no return. Uh, I don't have kids, you know, and um, on purpose. No, I just never really wanted them. Okay. Uh, and I don't understand why people that have kids, some people don't care. I'll see a change in my lifetime about the environment. Um, but if someone has kids now, those kids, they're really going to see the effects of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, overfishing, uh, you know, overpopulation, global warming, you know, all that stuff. Uh, Pollution. Pollution. Uh, water, fresh water. Uh, I mean, that's, that's going to be a big thing. Um, clean water. Um, yeah, but you know, it's amazing we can be in the middle of the ocean, put the ROV in the water, and we will find garbage. You know, and that's and, and something I've kind of recently become involved with. Um, uh, there's a project kind of growing off of Los Angeles. Um, you know, DDT, uh, which was a pesticide yep. used in Vietnam. It was used in. Uh, uh, all sorts of agriculture. Uh, and after it was banned in the United States, it was still being used abroad, but the company that was in Los Angeles was still producing it. Um, and he, but anyways, they actually got a permit and legally, legally proceeded to drop up to a half a million barrels of byproducts of producing this DDT chemical off the coast of California. You know, I mean, and, and and there are high concentrations of DDT in these byproduct chemicals. I mean... Just dumping it in the ocean. Just dumped it in the ocean. And if it didn't sink, you know, they would, you know, either shoot it or hit it with a hatchet or something to make it sink. And it, it's one of those things where it's out of sight and out of mind. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can't see it so people don't think about it. But could you imagine finding a half a million... 55 gallon drums of a toxic chemical in any park and what kind of mm-hmm. 
outrage that would bring. Mm -hmm. But this is underwater, out of sight. The ocean looks beautiful from the top. Yeah. Not many people go underneath. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's it's sad. And I think, yeah, I've, I've seen changes myself. I think, uh, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, you've been going underwater for years. 30. Um, yeah, well, since I was 14, and I'm 52 now. Did you notice anything different in your stint in uh, the Cayman Islands from when you first, st- you, you did it about 17 years or something like that. Do you notice any difference in uh, the amount of marine biology on those dives? The The health of the coral has changed. Certainly, in um, a negative way, or yeah, uh, and that's you know maybe from a toll from tourism as mm-hmm. well, uh, and from guys ramming their subs and <laughs> picking up rocks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm sorry, I told you that story. <laughs> no, I'm just good. Uh, yeah, uh, temperatures, coral bleaching. What's that? Know, so. Uh, so I mentioned before we have hard corals and soft corals yeah, and yeah. Um, hard corals have a symbiotic relationship with an algae that lives inside of them. Which it's what gives a, a hard coral its color. So if you see a, a picture underwater of these beautiful tropical corals and there's, you know, reds and blues and it's the algae and it's called zooxanthellae uh, that gives that coral its color. Um, well, if the water gets too hot, the coral, the polyp that creates the coral, will spit out that bit of algae. And so, and, and again, that's, that algae is what gives that coral its color. And so the coral just becomes bright white. Uh, and that's coral bleaching. And it's a temperature-related thing. And as the temperatures increase and the coral's not comfortable, it, it it's stressed, it spits out this sozantelli or the algae and uh, um, that that event is happening everywhere. And when we were in Midway, which was, you know, very isolated, uh, north far northwest Hawaiian chain, uh, they had a big event there while we were there. Although... Uh, it was also some of the hottest temperatures they re- ever recorded uh, in the rest of the Hawaiian Islands, too. So they were having a heat wave there, which would would be part of that. Uh, but, yeah, I've seen it. And, you know, so I'm 50 now, you know, so, yeah, I got 20 or 30 years left in me. And uh, I will see the end result of this. Uh, not the end, but you know, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll see the beginnings of where it's really going to start stressing the population. Uh, but people with kids, you know, yeah, they're really going to see it. And I think that's why the people should be more concerned about it. And I can't really understand why they're not. But well, I think you touched on it because they don't see it. It's uh, it, out of sight, yeah. out of mind. It's very yeah, but and it also happens very slowly, and it's something you yeah, know. It's you, like I, the frogs. The frogs, if yeah. you put frogs in boiling water, they're alarmed and they want to get out. But if you put frogs in warm water and slowly raise it, they yeah. never try to get yeah. out. 
Exactly. And and here, you know, say we're in Chattanooga, you know, you we don't have an ocean close to us, so you, yeah. you're isolated from that. And we yeah. do have the Tennessee River, which uh, there is some <laughs> there's some trash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we have these blue holes, and uh, we have some trash. I, I've <laughs> never, I haven't been in it. So I can't You're from Saudi Daisy. <laughs> you've seen, you've seen yeah. some stuff. And that, you know, that's one big shame that uh, you know you talk about. What do I do here? And the yeah. thing is, there's so much to do as far as uh, hiking and uh, water sports around here, kayaking. Yeah, and, we have everything. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I have done very little of that. Uh, I do bike rides, but uh, uh, done a little bit of paddleboarding. I love paddleboarding. Paddleboarding uh, super fun. Yeah. Have you paddleboarded um, off of their research vessels? Uh, yeah. Yeah, in Palau, we we got a couple oh. on board and went for a little tour in Palau. I've done a couple bit off off the yacht. I can't I can't remember where that was, um, but that is super cool to do it in the exotic places, oh, man. like and, and, on top of Canada. Oh my goodness! Well, ooh, that's a bit cold. Well, but, just uh, don't fall in and dry suit. We were in a tropical island, and uh, I got up early one morning and took one of the paddle boards out, and uh, I was. There was a little tiny island I went around, mm-hmm. and I was on the leeward side of it. Yep. And I'm going over this like glass, very calm water around the mangroves, and I could see you know to the bottom, which is you know fairly shallow, six seven feet. But I was going right along the mangroves, and I could see all sorts of anemones and anemone fish, and little sharks kind of cruising around and. Uh, just as I'm like paddling over the top of it, and after that, I was hooked. Yeah, uh, it was it was amazing. So, and uh, I, yeah, I like doing it. I, I need to do more of it here. I think that's great. Have you done from the dam to downtown? No, we rented. Uh, my wife and I rented some from was it L two L two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did a little tour around the island. Yeah, uh, that they did in the evenings. Um, in the summer. I had um, the the owner, well, the the founder. Yeah, of I, I listened. Yeah, Mark I Baldwin. Listened. Yeah, 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 I listened to that podcast. He's yeah. got some crazy stories. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, paddleboarding is super fun. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a good ex- exercise. Uh, it's good for your core. Yeah. What, what do you What do you do on the boats for entertainment? You say you do twelve hour shifts. Uh, is there a lot of movie watching? Um, do you exercise at all? Is there a gym? Uh, do you play cards. There's a gym. From what I understand, <laughs> <laughs> on the research boat, yeah, I've heard, know, I've heard of this. You know, we would do two months trips, and we would work twelve hours a day every, every day, day, seven so, days a week. Yeah, uh, and yeah, you would go to sleep for ten hours after that. So you've got a couple, and then hours. you kind of wake up, take a shower, or whatever, and, and get ready for your shift. Yeah, um, and but. You know, luckily we didn't have a dry ship. Uh, Good. Quite, quite often yachts are, and research boats same are with dry. Co- but same in the commercial fishing. Yeah. yeah. We had beer and wine. So, yeah. we'd, you know, we'd go on the back deck and have, have a couple beers. Right. And uh, we'd sit around. We had a picnic table on the back deck. Yeah. And sit around and make fun of each other. Did yeah. you have a hot tub? Uh, no, but uh, what's kind of funny, <laughs> when we were in Guam doing the... Uh, Indianapolis project. We went into Kmart uh, in Guam, and they had the big uh, 
The only Kmart left that's not... I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> it's the only one they left. They had the big plastic pools, Yeah, and we bought some of those, <laughs> and uh, we had two of them. Uh, we put one up forward on the helideck yeah. and one in the back on the back deck, and it's, if you look in some photos of RV <laughs> petrol, you can see you know, <laughs> this plastic pool up on the helideck and one on the back deck. It's, you're the only yacht out there that doesn't have a hot tub. It. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The the octopus has uh, several hot tubs and pools. And oh, the octopus! But, but because that was re- yeah. But then you bought yeah, the research, the research vessel, vessel, yeah, yeah, yeah. RV Petrol, yeah, yeah from yeah. yeah the the gas, the oil gas and people. gas, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, there's we just hang out in that sometimes, just yeah. fill it up with seawater from the uh, fire pumps and hang out in that. Yeah, when you're in a boat, you get really creative. You have to. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what do I, on those trips. Do you have internet? Yeah. Uh, it's not great. Uh, so like dial up. Do, 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 yeah. Do, do, do. And you're pretty much sharing it among 50 people. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. uh, if you get a big attachment, it takes a while to download. So no streaming, no YouTube. No. Uh, people do, but I don't have the patience. So, yeah. It's just emails for me. I don't browse the internet yeah. uh, when I'm on board. Uh, but uh, I take that time to organize all my files on my computer. And yep. uh, um, But yeah, just try and stay busy. Yeah. Do you read? Um, you know, for the research for RV Petrol um, and... I always had about maybe 20 different projects going at one time. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, a lot of our, a lot of the time we were, say we were on, you know, we we're in the Solomon Islands. I would have about 10 or 15 different shipwreck projects around that area going. And in case we were run off by weather some reason we couldn't, you know, operate in that area. It's like, all right, well, let's go up here because I've got this project over here. That's that's good. Know? And yeah, so we always had something going, and so, I, and and quite often, uh, when I go to uh, the National Archives in College Park, I would, uh, I didn't, I wasn't taking in a lot. I was, I had my list of all the stuff I wanted to get, and I, I'm just scanning them. You know, or taking pictures of them with my phone. But you're not, yeah. Then and uh, and then I'd go through them later. So I'd I'd save them up and wait till I was back out onto the ship, and then I'd go through them. And then I also had uh, I had a historian that I could reach out to. Um, I had a researcher in Japan I could reach out to. Um, and you know, she spoke Japanese, or she was Japanese, so. Uh, but she could also read read the kanji um, uh, writing. Mm-hmm. Prior to World War II, the Japanese writing was different. Uh, it was a kanji. And then uh, after that, it was more of a Japanese-type writing. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was closer to Chinese prior to World War II. Uh, and then also I had... Uh, uh, a researcher in College Park that would I could ask to go to the archives and if if something was referenced in a book or in in 
um, in deck logs or something and I was going through and I said oh can you please go there and get this deck log from this date and scan it and send it to me so uh, so I'd, I'd stay pretty busy but again uh, when we got onto that ship we would split into two two groups and you know so you might be doing an AUV recovery at three o'clock in the morning um, and you uh, get it on board download the data if there's anything good in that data you you wake up the boss have them come down if not you uh, turn it around change out the batteries and send it away on its next mission are, are you the one analyzing the, the data no uh no, my boss would do that. Okay, he uh, could notice. And I would, that. I would sit there with him, and we'd go through it together and talk it. about, you okay. know, uh, different stuff. And he would go through it kind of a cursory. You know, after a while, we got pretty good at recognizing debris. Yeah, uh, and so he'd go through it. Yeah, nothing there. Go, go to this. You know, go to the next spot. And then do you go he, through it in real time, or do you speed it up like two or three times faster? Oh no! So the our our AUV would be down there for you know, uh, depending on which AUV and the condition of the batteries, eight ten hours. You yeah. Know, do, uh, yeah, and you can go through all the all the data it gathers in probably fifteen minutes. Mm, so um, much quicker. Yeah, and then uh, we would send it on its way on its next mission and. Uh, then he'd probably go back to bed, wake up the next morning, and then go through it again, really with a fine-tooth comb, and look for any really fine stuff. The and, same footage. Yeah, yeah, the same uh, sonar data. Did you ever get any bad storms? Yeah. Um, we, because of the capabilities we had on our ship. Yeah, the exploration was the first the octopus. yeah. And- well, and because we had the two six thousand meter assets, the ROV and the AUV, yeah, that could both go down six thousand meter. Um, we would we were an asset for the Navy, and uh, a we would be subcontracted. Well, so the Navy has a contract for all salvage with a with what company say A. Mm. And um, would that help fund the projects? No, no, because we, you know, Mr. Allen was a billionaire. He didn't right, need the money, but he wanted to help. You know, he was. It was just a nice relationship. Yeah. Um, and I, a plane, uh, a a gray a C2A Greyhound crashed on the way back to the Ronald Reagan, which was off of Guam. Uh, few years ago and there's a few fatalities uh this particular plane never had a twin engine failure before and so they wanted to locate it and we left the philippines i think it was in january and uh went into the pacific in the in the western pacific and we we had to get from where we were to where the plane went down for a lull in the weather so we had to be there for our weather window right but to be there during that time we had to go through this storm yes and 
So <laughs> RV Petrol has a a helideck on the bow, on the front of the ship, which is where the most movement happens. Yeah. Uh, but there's an accelerometer which measures the the movement. Um, and for two days, the bow of the ship was going up 60 feet and down 60 feet every eight seconds. Okay. So, you know, up. So if you got into an elevator yeah. and, and went up to the sixth story in four seconds. And then came back down. And back down gonna... in four seconds. Yeah. Uh, for two days. And, you know, and. Where was your bunk? Was your bunk in there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> At that time, it was uh, it was too close to the front. I can tell you that uh, it was you know, nobody they... was sleeping very well. But luckily, I've I've never I haven't been seasick. I, I got seasick once as a kid, but that was it. Never been seasick since. And luckily, uh, but that that was that was the worst. Um, you can't. Ooh. It's just because you can't relax. Because I I've been in I've been in really bad weather on boats. And um, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't. You don't get sick, but you're just tense. You're tense and you're tired. And you're tired. It's exhausting to hold yourself up from unpredictable boat movements. Yeah. And, and you're, it's just, you're, you're ready for it to end. Yeah. It's, it gets very tiring. Yeah. I've uh, definitely. Yeah. That, that was the worst. Um, but we've been in that kind of condition several times and uh, you know, just kind of run from it and do you ever hang out um on deck well i mean in the in the, the wheelhouse oh uh, yeah you just t- talk to the captain yeah, hang, out, hang out who, you know again the captain is you know he's rarely on the bridge you know yeah. he's usually taking care of paperwork and what you have driving the ship or the officer of the watch that's that's and uh, yeah you go out and hang with, out with them and yeah do you, do you ever do i'm sh- certain you probably don't do wheel watches cuz there's enough people on the boat where you no we, you we were on that uh, on the petrol we were quite separated yeah uh because we were doing our project and and, and you know imagine ships being like a a hotel you know and, yeah. and we were the guests and all the ship's crew were like the the employees of the hotel. They kept it running, right, so that we could do our job. And uh, you don't have to clean. You have a cleaner. No, no. and uh, you know, laundry is all taken care of. And, Does someone make your bed for you? Yeah, several times a week. And yeah, it's pretty good. That's not bad. And it was. They do really your nice laundry. About petrol is that I had my own room, you know, and that it was on the yacht. I I was in you know on a busy trip. I was in a sharing a room with three other people or two other people. You, you have know, your so. own room. Do you have your own bathroom? Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Bathroom shower. It's great. What about window? No, I was on, I was on <laughs> interior. Okay. Uh, room. How big is your room? It's small. Uh, I mean, there's a the bed. It's a single bed, bathroom, and uh, there's like a a little desk, a little table. That's, That's cozy. That's yeah. A, it's nice to have your own room. On a, it's about eight by ten foot, I guess. Yeah, like a prison cell. <laughs> I worked on a crab boat before. Yeah, and uh, fishing for opelio crabs. Mm. And. Um, that's winter though, right? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole new level, right? I was there. on the Scandies Rose, and um, if you look up that boat, it actually sank a couple of years back. Really, and. Um, I don't remember exactly. There's maybe one or two survivors, and everyone else died. 
but mm-hmm. I worked on that boat. Yeah. And um, I had my own room. Oh, really? Um, what were you doing on that? You were a deckhand? Or? I was deckhand. Were yeah. you, I'm sure you didn't get to spend much time in your room. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what they told everybody. Hey, you've got your own room. No, I didn't spend any time in my room. Um, but uh, the caveat... Other people shared rooms. Uh, the caveat of I was in the room that they used as a parts room. So oh. there was parts everywhere, and there was one little bunk off to the side, and that's where I stayed. And, and you usually had – you never sleep on a fishing boat. You have naps. Mm, so yeah. uh, we did four-hour naps for a couple months, and uh, oh. that's what I did. And there's a telephone in the room, and that's how they wake you up. Oh, it, really? Yeah, it just rings. And they're like, Luke, it's time to get up. Oh. Time to go work. Oh, so I guess you uh, you don't have a shift. They're like, they'll, they'll finish putting on a yeah. string of yeah, crab yeah. pots. And then yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, hey, take some downtime until yeah. we get to the back yeah. to the front. Exactly. And then, exactly. Okay. You might work 16 hours. You might work 24 hours. You might work 30 hours. And then you take your nap for four hours. Yeah. And then you, we were going to run the boat 24 hours like you guys do. Um, but the very, the very first, uh, day we went out there as like a 30 hour run from Dutch to the grounds. Um, there are two brand new guys as me and this other guy. We are the bait boys. And, um, the, the other bait boy, he got the call. Okay. It's time to go to work. And he was in a top bunk. He jumped out of his bunk and he landed uneasy. Yeah. And he spiral fractured his foot. Oh. He didn't know he spiral fractured it because we don't have an x-ray machine on the boat. But yeah. he was he was quite aware that it hurt. And But, you know, crab fisherman, you got to be a tough guy, all this kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. So he like put on his boots and rain gear and he and, and he tried but he couldn't do nothing. He was worthless. and how far away from port were you? Thirty hours. Yeah, he was worthless. So um, he just went back inside and and he he couldn't work. So now there's only one bait boy, me, and our whole schedule is now messed up. We can't run round the clock. Right. So now we just have to do whatever we can, you know. And then everyone takes a four-hour nap, and then we go again. But you were able to stay out and fish. We stayed out for 18 days. Wow. And this poor guy with a broken leg laid in his bunk in nasty weather in the Bering Sea for 18 days before um, we went into uh, to shore to drop yeah. him off. Because we had a hardcore Nor- Norwegian captain. Yeah. His name's Leif. And... um that's the culture, you know, yeah. that's what we did. Yeah. And, and, and there were times where I was like, I wish I have the broken I wish leg. I broke my leg. Yeah. Cause at Sitting least bad. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's a hard job. I didn't like it. It was a yeah. really hard job. And, and I got tendonitis in my wrist and like, it, it, it it's, it's a bad job. And, and you just kind of wish you were that guy with the broken leg. <laughs> But, uh, but you, you know, you, you make it sound so nice, you know, I mean, <laughs> because I know you're in the Apelio season, which yeah. is the middle of winter in the it's Bering January, Sea, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, I it mean, starts January 1st. That is like probably one of the worst places to be. Well, it's, it's dark most of the time. Yeah. Because you're very high in latitude and it's cold 
and, and the storms. You have the storms, and you and you fish no matter what. Doesn't matter what the weather is. You fish, and we were on a larger boat. I think ours was about 118 feet long, and I remember we're in storms. Since our boat's so big, we could keep fishing in bad weather, and other boats would yeah. jog, is what it's called. They just kind of just maintain heading, yeah, into the sea, and and yeah. we would we would fish, and and then we could fish in the trough, which is the, you know, it almost sounds like it's it's you'd rather be on the smaller boat. Well, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> because you know, oh, thank God the weather's bad. Let's yeah. take a break. But I mean, it's experience. It's probably yeah, pr- probably built character or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I only did it one year. But mm. it seems like a lot of people that do the Apelio Cision only do it one year. Yeah. I've done a couple of people and they said, Oh, I did it I did the yeah, I did the Apelios one year. It was weird. Um I didn't quit. Mm. Because you can't You can't. <laughs> no, you can. You can quit. There's many times to quit. Um, oh yeah, and people do yeah, quit. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty. When you go back into offload, yeah, you cash, can just yeah. get off the boat. And, and yeah. but no, I. But um, the the worst part wasn't the work and the weather. It was the crew. So the culture is to make your life miserable as the new guy. Oh really? It's hazing culture, and yeah. then if you survive and you don't quit. Then you're in the club, yeah, and you're welcome back next year, and you have a job, and then you get to repeat the process to a new guy, yeah, and everyone has your back. But that's kind of like the test, right, to get through your first season. Yeah, and I got through it, but I don't. Um, I had zero interest in going back because I'm not interested in being part of a system like that. Yeah, you, ever, you guys can all do that. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, we, I'm not interested in that. You know, our, our group on the boat, our project crew, you know, we had our own office and we'd sit down there and, um, you know, many of the conversations, you know, I'm sure like some, somebody going through school to be, to work in an HR department could, could probably do their thesis on some of the conversations oh, yeah. that we had. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you had quite you know a few different viewpoints. And, yeah. And it, it's great to be in a group of people that it's unfiltered, and you get different viewpoints. You know, you you don't have to worry about people's feelings and and. Uh, yeah, it's it's an education, and you know, like, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I'm sure, like, <laughs> HR would, you know, be interested in it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a whole psychology experiment when you're yeah. on a and fishing we, boat. You know, we would have, uh, you know. Quite often, we had people from. Uh, we were we were quite closely with uh, Naval History and Heritage Command. Yeah, uh, which is basically responsible for all these wrecks. They own all U.S. ships, naval ships underwater. They did are they, the owners. Did they buy them or how? how no, no, they because they buy the rights or no, no. Uh, they're part of the Navy, um, and this is 
this starts getting very complicated. Uh, but uh, basically, a navy never gives up the right to its vessel. And that's why, um, you know, when somebody finds a treasure ship. Yeah, shipwreck. Or yeah. It's, yeah. Spain will sue. You know, because mm-hmm. most likely, you know, it was a Spanish ship coming to the New World, um, trading, you know, whatever, going back to Spain with gold, and it sank during a storm, and it was a naval vessel, and and they were very good at documenting this stuff. And uh, What about pirate ships that aren't tied to a country? Um... I I don't know because that's that's a phrase. I I guess the path would be you'd have to prove that the naval say the Spanish vessel it was on, which is most like a Spanish navy, was raided by pirates and the pirates had possession of the cargo. Uh, yeah, I I don't know, but. Uh, you know, so there's a there's a ship off of Columbia um, now that it was a Spanish Navy ship uh, went down, and it, a friend of mine's involved with this, and I think he kind of gave me some. Well, he he, he kind of showed me some photos of it and stuff. Man, years ago now, uh, and there are. I think they estimate the value of this wreck is in the billions. With gold? With gold. Uh, and they have photos of it, of gold coins. And it's just sitting there underwater because as soon as the, the discovery went public, Spain sued. Mm-hmm. Columbia said, well... It's in our waters. It's in our waters. It's ours. And, and and there's this whole thing about uh, UNESCO agreement. What's that? Uh, well, it's it's basically that, you know, uh, an agreement between all the countries in the world that say, hey, if uh, if it's a if if it's a naval vessel, then the the navy never gives up rights to its vessel. But you know, which kind of makes sense. Which makes sense, but you know, there's not that many countries that have, that have agreed to it. Uh, Spain didn't agree to it. Uni- United States hasn't agreed to it. So, Spain didn't agree to it, no. but they're but they're, <laughs> but they're still claiming that that suing is under this thing that they didn't agree to. Yeah, that's uh, okay. And yeah, so to this day, and this is uh, I don't know, it's five, six, seven years. It's still sitting there underwater. The gold. Yeah. Well, you have a <laughs> you're a really good submarine pilot. Well, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't, you have to find out where it is, you know, and then, uh, and then, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, there's a lot to it. Um, not sure I was headed with that. I don't know. <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. You have lived quite, uh, your career is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, are you satisfied with it? Are you yeah. glad you became a? Yeah, it's been really good, and I've 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 been able to do amazing things. I've been 
part of some of the you know some fantastic discoveries you've been a part of things written down in history books yeah um not many people can say that yeah um and yeah to to be there when to find a ship you know you're looking for a, a shipwreck you know and and to be on board when you find it you know and, and to be you know to provide the research and you're sitting there with you know the boss and going through this information and and where it is and and to track it down and to find it and then to put the rov down and to document it and then to be there for the kind of the fallout to to talk to the the families of survivors and and maybe people who didn't survive uh yeah it's been a phenomenal career and i've kind of just kind of fallen into it from one job to the next and is is the moral of the story don't write a resume (laughs) (laughs) maybe the moral is not everyone needs to go to university (laughs) yeah um yeah or finish high school <laughs> so we, I would recommend that at least you know okay, uh, let's not go that far uh, yeah it, it's been a phenomenal career and and now things have slowed down because of COVID you right. know, the ship's been laid up now, you know as I said Paul Allen passed away the the octopus is for sale uh, I'll, I'll be headed back out there though in February to look after the submarine. We're, we're maintaining everything mm-hmm. uh, because you have to maintain the value of all the assets on board. Right. So I'll be looking after the submarine. The the RV petrol is still in operation. No, it's Pre- it's been laid up in uh, Scotland. Uh, so, but it will will it go back in operation after COVID? I think so. Yeah, that that okay. is the plan now for me. To that. continue to look for uh, shipwrecks. To shipwrecks and. Um, I think Vulcan, you know, is kind of changing its focus. Uh, so I think we might start supporting some ocean sciences. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I'd be, I mean, I like doing that type of work. So, um, yeah, hopefully it'll get back up and running again, but. I'm kind of looking at this period as a semi-retirement. I'm enjoying being at home. You know, the last uh, 15 years, you know, say, you know, uh, for the last 15 years I've worked for this company, I've spent probably about eight of it away from home, you know, and uh, so it's nice to be, nice to be home. I like home. Home's good. Yeah. Bert, Ernie, the wood shop. Yeah, the wood shop, you know, dogs. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you know, it. like by the time you're done in Alaska, you know, people say, Oh, do you go sightseeing? No, <laughs> no, that's the last thing I just want to go home. You know? That's like the number one kind of question I get is oh, yeah. like, Oh, you work in Alaska. It's beautiful there. Yeah. You must like have seen. And it's like, I just, I fly in, I work, I fly yeah. out. Yeah. I see the airport. Yep. The inside of a taxi. Yeah. I see the boat. <laughs> and then I see my, uh, you know, five square miles where I fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You spent way more time at sea than me. I'm up to uh, somewhere around three and a half years of 
okay. Days spent, days and nights spent on, on the ocean. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you got more than me. A few, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been good. I've really enjoyed it, and but, yeah, I, I've done, I've done it for fifteen years now, and you're enjoying the break. I'm enjoying the break, you know, and I'm a bit of an introvert. So, you know, being alone in my shop and my, you know, I'm very lucky that we have a bit of property yeah. uh, and my shop is on my property and yeah, it just, well, I, working on a boat's good for being an introvert. Yeah. You know, especially in a submarine. Uh, well, yeah, you know, and yeah. Uh, but I'll be head back out in February, I think, for a couple of months. Good to uh, maintain the assets. And are you going to launch them, or are you just check I them out? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think towards the end, uh, we have to do a d- test dive once a year um, with the the classing agency. Uh, so I think we'll do that in the Mediterranean somewhere uh, in April, I think. But. Mediterranean is not a pleasant place in the winter, so so we'll see how that goes. Nice. Yeah. Well, this has been a really, really fun conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, you know, something that we covered last time, uh, you know, yeah, I, I've done a couple of presentations at the museums and stuff about how we've found stuff and... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do something like that uh, here in town. Uh, I know there was a one of the breweries was doing like a like a drinking and learning type of thing. I've been to a couple of those um, where I used to live in Lansing, Michigan. There was like uh, astrology on tap, or is it astrology? What's the what's the real one? Astronomy. What's, astronomy. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> it, it, it's astronomy. <laughs> what's the real one? It's astronomy on tap. <laughs> I didn't want to. Um, but yeah, that's, that's fun to talk about what you do. Yeah. A, yeah like a, I, yeah. Something like a drinking, a sipping and learning or sipping and, uh, sinking, <laughs> you know, some sort of, you know, yeah, we need a good PR guy for that, but I'm clearly uh, not the guy. Yeah. But yeah, you know, doing something like that, I'd be happy to do it. Do a presentation. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, yeah, because there's, you know, the work we've done is, is very interesting. Yeah. But I think the, what really needs to get out there is the, the sacrifice of the men that, you know, fought on these vessels and, and, and I haven't been to it yet. Uh, but the, we've got the medal of honor museum here, uh, outside the museum, uh, the aquarium there. I have not been to that either. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we actually found a ship, um, that the captain, was the first uh, uh, American Indian that uh, was the captain of a vessel, the uh, the Johnson, hmm. and it was uh, in a battle off the Philippines, and uh, there was uh, there's the U.S. fleet against the Japanese fleet, and uh, the American fleet was well outgunned and they started laying down a smoke trail and started to leave um, or retreat and three small 
ships, so the two destroyers and the destroyer escort turned around and went into the entire Japanese fleet to to buy some time. Oh, wow. And they were firing so many missiles and, or so, so many, uh, they're firing their guns so often and everything that the Japanese thought that the whole ship was, well, the whole fleet was kind of in this fog bank, or not the fog bank, but the, the, the smoke bank that they created. Uh, they had, they thought that the whole fleet was coming behind these three that were headed towards them. And so they actually turned around and started to retreat. So these three small vessels wow. um, uh, managed to buy the U.S. fleet time to get away. Uh, but they all were sunk. It was a suicide mission. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, uh, but uh, the USS Johnston and the captain of that, was, he was the first American Indian uh, who was the captain of a ship. And uh, he got the Medal of Honor. Uh, and the the rumor was that he fought so gallantly that uh, as the ship was sinking, a Japanese uh, ship came to sink them, put in like the death yeah. blows into the ship, and the captain of that Japanese ship came out and and saluted uh, the Johnson as it was sinking. But we found that ship. And that is the deepest shipwreck ever found, and that's over twenty thousand feet. Wow! And uh, yeah, that was kind of amazing. Did this whole project working for Paul Allen um, really increase your interest in history? You know, I was always kind of interested uh, in like World War Two history. Like we had a family friend as a kid. Um, who was he was a World War II veteran and his name was uh, Salvatore de Lapa and uh, everyone just called him Rocky and he was in Pearl Harbor and uh, he would tell us when we were little kids he's like oh you know I was I was holding the Arizona and I just couldn't hold it anymore and I had to let it go and it sank you know he was joking around and uh but that always that kind of sparked my interest, and in, you know, and I think about him a lot when I'm looking at these uh, ships. And 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 one thing when we're looking at some of these ships, and you see the damage, you can see the the damage from the projectiles that were hitting them, you know. And you think what must have been going through these these kids? I mean, they're like twenty year olds, you know. They're 18, 17, 18, 19, 20. I mean, they're kids and they're, they're kids. on these boats doing uh, amazing things and amazing times, you know, and not in a good way, you know. I just, uh, yeah, it, it's, you think about that, you know, when you're seeing them for the first time and what must have been go through their mind. It, it, yeah. And, yeah, I, like I said, I, I have, I, I've done several presentations at museums and uh, survivors uh, reunions, and I'd love to do some more of that around Chattanooga just to uh, share. And especially, you know, like we had Mr. Irwin 
you know, a survivor of the USN Indianapolis here, you know, and uh, yeah, I'd love to share it. Yeah. Well, I'll see if I can help out with that in any way. Maybe reach out to Hunt and Smith. Yeah. Um, those are good people over there. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Do whatever, however we get it out there. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming over. This is a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed myself. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Um, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, you have some fascinating stories. You've seen a lot. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think we've just scratched the surface. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll do another one we'll do another one this is uh do you have any stories you've been holding out on uh you know i i yeah we'll we'll get into those next time you have a lot of ndas yeah so this is only the this the small tidbit that we could talk about yeah i I guess and if people are interested they should go to uh if they go to uh paulallen.com and uh, there's a link there for RV petrol for, uh, I think under discoveries or something, uh, or just search RV petrol and it's P E T R E L on Google. Um, yeah, follow the links and, you know, we have a big Facebook page and you can kind of go through and see all our discoveries and, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks Paul is not nice to talk to you again. All right. Thank you, Luke. All right. Bye. And there you have it. That is Paul Mayer, everybody. And he lives right here in Chattanooga. This town is filled with so many special people. It's insane. It's why I do this podcast. If you like this podcast, tell your friends. Word of mouth is very helpful in a city of this size. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's really helpful. Or give me five stars. Other than that, we'll see you next Friday. Bye.